0: You can lock like my body, can't trap my mind not forever, be free Okay, free the Black Panthers, F-P-B-P Stand for free the Black Panthers And up the black police Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles But we still here, the build here Up Pro. show we gon' make your day a holiday, I fuck me, i mad Free the Black Panthers, F V B P stand for Free the Black Panthers, and fuck the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me, you can like my body, can't trap my mind, not to ever be free, okay, Free the Black Panthers, F V B P stand for Free the Black Panthers, It's fuck the Black Police. Feds infiltrated our movements. Black leadership grows, but so we still here. In the bill here, upcoined hell RBG, 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 RBG My sisters, my brothers, the of the elders cause that's really all I need We suited, we booted, don't do it You stupid, we head to the armory Black women and goddess, regardless My heart just don't fuck with misogyny Foolish stuff, don't tolerate it Melanated, so you gotta hate it But rock up, another conversation Trump finna to get inaugurated Damn, unify
2: or die NBPP.org to be subjects of this government, we never had any say in that. We need our own nation.
3: The two uh, great crimes in American history is obviously the, you know, destruction of this country's Native American—the near destruction, I should say, not the the destruction, the near destruction of this country's Native American population, the theft of their land. And on to work that land uh, was brought in, uh, in, and Native Africans, uh, into this country beginning in in 1619. those twin processes profoundly altered the the, the shape of of the world uh, and made this country possible. Obviously, first of all, you you know the land on which you know America and Americans currently reside uh, was was the land of Native Americans. But the people brought in to to, to break that land uh, uh, just transformed it. The, the profits uh, derived from slavery are, are are more extreme than I think are are, are commonly. Acknowledge, As I said yesterday, uh, uh, in 1860, uh, the combined worth of the 4 million enslaved black people in this country was some $3 billion, nearly $75 billion in, in today's uh, share of dollars. Uh, uh, cotton uh, in 1860 was this country's largest export—not just its largest export, it was the majority of exports uh, out of this country. So, from a financial perspective, just the economics of it, it it's absolutely impossible to imagine America uh, uh, without enslavement. The onset of the Civil War, the greatest uh, preponderance, the greatest population uh, per capita of millionaires and multimillionaires in this country was in the Mississippi River Valley. It wasn't in Boston, wasn't in Chicago, wasn't in in New York. The richest people in this country were slaveholders. Most of our earliest presidents were slaveholders. And the fact that they were presidents uh, is not incidental to the fact that they're slave—to their slaveholding. Uh, That was how they built their wealth. That was how Thomas Jefferson built his wealth. That was how George Washington built his wealth. Uh, uh, Individual slaves were the equivalent of, say, owning a home today. They were uh, 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 people but turned into objects of extreme wealth. So, just from the economic perspective, there's that, and just forgive me for extending a little bit, but there's also the fact of what America actually is culturally. Our greatest export today is our entertainment. And and it is our culture. It is impossible to imagine American culture uh, without jazz, without the blues, without hip-hop. It's impossible to imagine American cinema without, regrettably, Birth of a Nation. It's impossible to imagine American literature at this point without James Baldwin, without Toni Morrison. All of these are the the, the primary, secondary and territory fruits of slavery. And so, if you strip slavery out of America, if you strip black people out of America, you really don't have in America. When I started in 2014, I actually was at that point for reparations, but you're referring back to something I wrote in 2012 when I was, you know, against. I wouldn't have been able to give you that answer. I, I, I didn't have that level of, of, of knowledge. And beyond that, I didn't have the level of knowledge on how it persisted. I mean, I had a vague sense of segregation, Jim Crow, etc., you know, in the 100 years after. But I didn't know about redlining, not, not, not in that degree of, of, of detail. Uh, and I didn't know how this uh, uh, extraction, as I call it, of wealth from the African-American community uh, uh, laundered through the state into the white community, you know, uh, uh, through, through redlining, through the FHA loan program, uh, through the GI Bill, I, I just didn't have knowledge of that. And once I saw that, it's like, wow, this is a persistent, you know, uh, a pattern of, 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 a, of extraction that needs a really, really radical answer. At that point, reparations made total, total sense to me. Uh, but I will add that it made sense to plenty of people long before it made sense to me. I think, in this moment, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, this sort of—you uh, 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 know, all of these questions that, that may have been, you know, off of the table in 2016 or off the table in, in 2008, it, it, it's not that um, people weren't raising them. You know, it's not that, you know, people weren't weren't making a point. But I, I just think, you know, in, in reaction to, to, to what's going on to this country, in this country right now, people are just much, much more open. You know, um, and, and, and in terms of poverty and, and, and race in this country, again, you know, one one of the things that I really, really wanted to stress is it's it's the level of poverty specifically that you see in the African American community, is it's not accidental. It's not accidental. This was uh, uh, this is part of the process. The process of enslavement involves stealing something from someone. It involves taking someone something from someone. Jim Crow was theft. First and foremost it was theft. If I if I tax you, or if I tell you you have to be uh, loyal to this country and, 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 and pledge fealty to its laws, but then I don't give you the same degree of protection, I don't give you the same access to resources that I give to another group of people, I have effectively stolen something from you. I have stolen your tax money. I have stolen your, your fealty. I have stolen your, your, your loyalty. So when the state of Mississippi, for instance, you know, uh, 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 taxes black people and then builds you know, one facility uh, for education and, and another—one inf- facility uh, for education for whites and then an inferior facility uh, for blacks. That's theft. That's theft. If I build, a, a, you know, a public pool system and then tell you you can't use that public pool system, that's theft. Uh, and so, that, 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 that is the long history, you know, of this country that doesn't end again conservatively until, you know, in 1968. And so, uh, there are people who are very, very much alive who have experienced that who are suffering the after effects and effects of that. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the whole movement around reparations is about. Reparations isn't just about enslavement. There was a 250 years of enslavement, that period of theft. After that, there was 100 years of terror, that period of theft. And, you know, I would argue, in fact, uh, our, our present system of mass incarceration emerges right out of that. And so, uh, you know, th- this notion that, that, that uh, a nation uh, somehow only... Uh, um, especially when we're talking about its debits, that, 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 that it only lasts through the lifetime of its present generation, it's, it's clearly ridiculous. Uh, the state itself would fall apart if, if that were true. If all of our treaties were broken when this generation died, if all of our taxes and responsibilities, if we said to pensioners, you know, we will no longer pay you because the people that, you know, made the decisions about those wars are, are, are no longer alive, we would have a huge problem. As I said yesterday, to this very day—or at least I should say as recently as 2017 We were paying pensions to to, uh, uh, the heirs of of Civil War widows. When you have that lengthy of a history of of what can only be called robbery, often state-sanctioned and at best with the state looking the other way, uh, it it seems pretty logical that 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 one uh, aspect, and I would argue an essential aspect of fixing that situation is paying people back.
4: Those of us who've been following your work for a long time think of you first and foremost as a, as a blogger, um, although you were a reporter before you were a blogger, but I remember reading and loving your blog for many years. But now you've added a new title to your, um, to your resume, and that is Novelist. Um, tell us about the origin of this book. You've been working on it for a long time. Where did the idea come from?
3: Oh, man, we only got 20 minutes. Wow. Um, how do I answer that without taking up half the time?
4: Um, you can take as much time as you want. This is your stage.
3: there's a ticking clock right there.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Let me worry about that.
3: Google will get get the hook. <laughs> um, I, I, I would say um, that that question has a lot of answers, but I think the one that probably is most interesting, um, because it's a lot of things that came together, is the realization um, on the limitations of facts. Um, I, for uh, during my earlier period as, as a blogger for The Atlantic, uh, I spent a good bit of time blogging about the Civil War, um, which was, at that time, and still remains one of the most misunderstood, uh, important uh, events in, in American history. And you could quote the causes of the Civil War from people who were stating their terms of aggression at the time. Um, you could assemble all the data you wanted, all the historical evidence you wanted that made it clear that the war was about the continuation and the expansion of slavery. And people would look at you and just would say, no, it's not. Um, And it it became really, really clear that you weren't really having a conversation about facts. Um, You were having a conversation about deeply, deeply embedded beliefs and myths. Um, And so it, it wasn't so much that you would even be able to persuade a certain sector with, with evidence, with the kind of things that we assemble in, in nonfiction, uh, it became pretty clear to me that, that you needed to tell new stories. There was a story around Robert E. Lee, for instance. Um, there was a story around Nathan Bedford Forrest, uh, the founder of the Ku Klux Klan and thus the inaugurator of the largest domestic terrorism campaign in American history. And yet, still in the state of Tennessee, there are more statues of Nathan Bedford Forrest than any other public figure. That's because certain stories and mythologies uh, had been erected around these people. And so I just became concerned, how could it be that the cause of enslavement, the cause of selling uh, off people's children, the cause of uh, destroying families, how did that become mythologized, you know, and softened down into the general Lee and the Dukes of Hazard. And it became clear to me that that we needed new new stories and so the water dancer my new novel is an attempt to tell a different one
4: so this this story um does in in some ways kind of create a new mythology of its own um you your main character um hiram walker he's the son of a plantation owner uh, and an enslaved mother Um, and as a young man he discovers that he has these unusual powers um and I think one of the big themes that's run through your work, um, um, certainly your nonfiction work, is, um, is the importance of memory. And I would say the, the power of amnesia. I mean, amnesia, I think, is kind of the American superpower, this ability to persuade ourselves of our innocence by not remembering. Um, so it struck me that... Um, that you created a character whose whose superpower is memory. Um, Could you just talk about that character and the importance of memory?
3: Yeah, I mean, you're exactly correct. I mean, it's allegorical, you know? Um, And and one of the the, the dynamics uh, in the book is between uh, the slaveholders and the uh, the enslaved. Um, We give them different names in the book because if you need different stories, you need different names. Um, And so in the book, uh, the enslavers are called the the quality and the enslaved are called the task. And one of the things that the main character uh, comes to quickly realize as he matures throughout it is essential to the power of enslaving people, uh, essential to the ability to commit the very, very brutal dehumanizing acts that one must commit in order to enslave somebody is the power of forgetting. You have to forget. Um, We should pause a moment and talk about how intimate plantation slavery was. Um, it was not uncommon for a young black child to grow up right next to a young white child and for them to play together until they reached a relative age where they were charged with assuming their, their you know, uh, um, particular roles. And in order to, for that young white child to do what he or she had to do to that young black child, in order to do what the system mandates, you have to be good at compartmentalizing certain things. Because to dehumanize, you can't remember playing with somebody. You, you can't remember the you know, little games that y'all played. You got little dances y'all played. You can't remember that person sticking up. You have to somehow confine them to, to over here. And so you know, one of the things that, that you know, Hiram talks about in the book, and I think this is actually true of our country, is that when we want to do horrible things, the first thing we have to do is we have to forget.
4: Mm. So what does Hiram remember? Walk us through the story. (laughs) Hiram (laughs)
3: remembers everything. That's part of the problem. Hiram remembers every little thing. If Hiram were here right now, he could repeat, rebate him everything that you and I just said, everything that Killer Mike and Anderson just said. Um, But he could not remember the things that are most intimate to him. And in the story, that is his mother. Um, His mother has been sold off by his father. Uh, Hiram is the product of of, of sexual violence. There is no choice under the system of enslavement. Uh, It's all coercion. Um, And... Even though he can remember every single you know, little detail, he only knows his mother because the enslaved community in which he exists has told him about his mother. But were it up to him, he probably would forget his mother, push her into the down there of his mind, as, as he says.
4: Hmm. Um, so I, wanted, I want to linger a little bit on the, ma- on the language, and, and you talked about this already a little bit, but in, in the book you call the enslaved the tasked. Um, and the enslavers are called the quality. And um, I also noticed that you call, there's, there's a power that, that Hiram has called conduction. Um, talk to me about how you kind of created the the language that you used in the book and why it was necessary to to bring these, wor- these words, which are, uh, they're not new words, but they're words being used in a different way than we typically do. Yeah,
3: I think naming things, um, and for those who are, Undergoing the oppression those who have the boot on their net uh, to claim the power is, is very very important I'll, I'll give an example if I can you know bring bring this together uh, For the past I don't know 20 or so years. It has been uh, pretty much uh, uh, The stipulation that we you know refer to those who experience the, the crime of rape as rape survivors no longer as rape victims um, and I like most you know, people with common sense and decent respect have used that terminology, though I can't tell you that I understood why I was using that terminology or, or, or what it quite meant. And it was only through writing this book that I, that, I, that I came to that. That is to say that there is a thing that somebody does to you, that somebody takes your body, they captures, capture your body, and they do the thing to you. And it is the name that people put on you which erases everything about you. So being raped is a thing that happened to you. It's not the thing you want to be seen as. It's not the thing that should obviate every little detail about your life. And I found a very similar thing with with enslavement. Um, Slave sounds like something that the person is, as opposed to the condition which somebody else put upon them. Black people in this country from the period of 1619 to, to, uh, 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 to 1865 were not slaves. They were enslaved. The thing was done to them. And underneath of that was all of their humanity, all of their you know, identity, all the laughing, all the crying, all the mourning, all the singing, all the dancing. It was not um, what was done to them was not their identity. And that became really, really important in the course of, of, of writing the book. Um, and I have to tell you, that was a lesson to me. Because sometimes, you know, we're in this era, if I can just go off a little bit, we're in this era right now where sometimes people ask for new labels. And because we don't necessarily understand those labels, we deride them. You know, we don't comprehend why, you know, folks want new names. And, and, and so we, you know, make fun of them. We make jokes about them. But maybe it's worth being respectful and just calling people what they ask for. And maybe you'll catch up a little later. Maybe it just takes a second, you know? And and for me this was this was really essential because the process of writing is always the process of learning, acquiring new things.
4: Hmm. Um- I I was curious um, who some of your influences were when you were writing this book. I mean, I see elements of Octavia Butler. I see some, you know, obviously you're a comics writer, so you, you know, drew from that experience Um, and your love of comics, some Toni Morrison, maybe some Stephen King. Um, What did you draw from? Because, I mean, you, you know, clearly fiction is something that you've been thinking about for a long time, but it's a shift.
3: Yeah, although oddly enough, I started this before I started Between the World and Me and before I started almost everything, and we were eight years in power. So most writing, that, this is older than almost anything that, mm. that most people know me for. Um so uh, if I, I would say in no particular order, uh, my influences are uh, the great novelist E.L. Doctorow, mm-hmm. who was masterful at this task of remembering, of conjuring history and making you feel like you were right there. I read a book like Ragtime and I felt like I was, you know, right there, Billy Baskett. I feel like I'm right there, I'm right in the midst of it. Um, I would say uh, Toni Morrison, uh, simply because I don't know of another novelist who was a better crafter of sentences, and that sounds very minor and very you know, you know, particular and maybe not very important. But in fact, I think part of the power that people achieve in their writing, uh, when you're trying to achieve that power, the main thing you're trying to do is be as efficient as possible and condense as much emotion, as much feeling, as much intensity into a smaller space as small a space as you possibly can. And Tony was an absolute master of that. Um, and then finally, you know, Frederick Douglass. Mm. Um, who is known as a, you know, a, a great American hero, as, as he should be, but um, was just a gorgeous writer. Like, I think people have just forgotten that. I mean, just a, a, a beautiful... Beautiful, beautiful writer, David Blight, in his new book, uh, basically is writing a a, you know a biography of a writer.
4: It's a fantastic book. Yes, no,
3: it's a gorgeous, and incredible book. And then you know, at the end of the day, you know, I gotta say this, you know, uh, you know, embodying the spirit that Anderson and Killer Mike just left. Hip hop was my first literary influence. Mm -hmm. That will always be the first thing I I think about.
4: I think I heard an interview in which you said, uh, um, and I don't know if this was the order, Rakim. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and, <laughs> was the third, comic I mean, books. Comic books. Right. I was and like, that'll do yes, That'll do you. That'll do yeah. You. yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so um, I I think of you primarily as a journalist, and you've you've talked a lot about the importance of reporting. Um, and one of the things that's really striking about this novel is how deeply reported it is. Mm. I mean, like the physical landscape of the of the. Um, of the plantation, but then also uh, the way that you managed to carry, capture the interior life of the enslaved, which there's one set of documentation that's very mm-hmm. you know, fragmented and partial to draw on, mm-hmm. but also how you managed to capture in a very human way, the enslaver, I mean, the, 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 the master. Um, so talk a little bit about your process of doing research for this book and how, you, um, how it came together.
3: Yes, yeah, so you know, the first thing I'll just say really quickly on that note of um, capturing the, 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 the enslaver is um, if they're too evil, you don't believe them. You understand what I'm saying? And if they're too evil, it actually kind of loses its power because you have the ease of being able to say, oh, it's no way that there couldn't have been me. So in every one of these characters, there's some of me. You know, I had to imagine myself even into the people that are doing the worst possible things. I had to find myself you know, in it, because that's the only way the reader finds you know, the, the, themselves in it. Uh, in, in terms of the research, I mean, I, I spent a good, I don't know, I mean, most of the last ten years, you know, visiting, you know, uh, 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 enslaved plantations around this country. I went to the Whitney Plantation down in New Orleans, Shirley Plantation uh, in Virginia, various Civil War uh, sites, Montpellier in, uh, in Virginia, James Madison's, you know, home, uh, Thomas Jefferson's, uh, Monticello, which had a huge, huge influence. You know, on me, and really, you know, helped me work through a lot of feelings about Thomas Jefferson. Um, and, and much of this book is probably influenced by that, uh, being about the physical architecture of Monticello and by many of the. Uh, um,
4: well, like, like Monticello Lockless is a failed plantation. It's a fail. Right? It is. A very people very often fall. don't know what a lousy totally, businessman Thomas he was Jefferson totally, was.
3: Yes, he was a horrible businessman. Um, you, 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 I mean Thomas Jefferson. What I always tell people is Thomas Jefferson died in debt. You got to be a really bad businessman to have no labor costs and die in debt.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and pro tip. And less funny. Less funny. Um, when Thomas Jefferson died, they looked around. They looked around to figure out how they were going to pay the debt. And they looked at the land, and they looked at the furniture, and they looked at all the nice things that they had accumulated, and they realized that virtually all of the value of the plantation was in the people that they had enslaved. Um, and so to satisfy those debts, they sold off those people right on the lawn of Monticello and divided those families, um, and that knowledge, that that reality, you know what I mean, very much fueled me through this book. I, you know, I, I listen, everybody, I always tell everybody should go to Monticello, but African Americans specifically should really, really go uh, uh, to Monticello.
4: Um, you, you mentioned uh, families being separated. I mean, uh, we can't help but think about um, What's happening in our country right now with family separation? Um, as you said, this book's been with you a long time, but um, the idea of separating children from their parents is not a new American idea. Um, this is something very old.
3: No, it's not. And what I strongly suspect is, whenever you seek to um, oppress or exploit another group of people, you you, you attack their families. Um, I think that's always a line of contention. You know, I think. Um, you know, in the most recent fight over marriage equality, is about the right to form and protect families. That was a huge, huge line. And so I, I don't even know that it was new for us so much as family is so um, elemental you know, to any group of, of, of human beings uh, that you know, when you find yourself in a conflict and somebody's trying to exploit you, that's the first thing that you know, uh, folks go for. I, I will say that it was very, very important for me to write this book in a certain way um, and to show the intensity of the, and the love and the caring that was in black families. Um, because we exist in a time um, where we are often told uh, that the black family's pathological, that there are problems with the black family, it's bad culture in the black family, that men don't care about the kids, you know, women talk all kinds of ways. All, this, you know, all sorts of, you know, negative ideas about how we relate to each other uh, uh, in family. And whenever I do historical research, not just at this period, but whenever I've done you know, historical research here in America, what i found is quite the opposite. And in fact, people trying to form families among the most harshest and you know, unimaginable and, and, and violent conditions. So it was very, very important to me When I was writing this book To focus on, on, on those efforts To maintain, strengthen, you know, and, and endure Among black families during that period
4: um, John Conyers just passed away mm-hmm. um, you know, Rest in power um, You wrote the, um, your, your piece The Case for Reparations um, I think you found yourself In the somewhat uncomfortable position Of testifying before Congress About mm-hmm. reparations are, are you, I mean How is it How has it been from your vantage point to see the subject of reparations come to the foreground, um, be embraced by, uh, you know, credible contenders for the Democratic nomination, talked about in a different way in society?
3: I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased. Um, I am one who believes that uh, the dominant relationship between what we call black people in this country and what we call white people in this country is is, is one of robbery and, and theft. Uh, that extends, you know, from the 250 years of enslavement in this country through the 100 years of Jim Crow in which black people were robbed of the right to vote, robbed of the right to participate uh, in the political process uh, in which they were taxed and an entire public architecture was erected uh, throughout the southern states, public pools, public universities, public schools, public libraries that they were excluded from despite paying into it uh, through the period, you know, through the same period, post-war period, uh, uh, in more northern cities, when black people were attempting to exercise their rights to move into uh, nicer communities and were met with firebombs and, you know, uh, legislation uh, from local officials that sought to, you know, confine them to ghettos. When, when, when you have that lengthy of a history of, of what can only be called robbery, often state-sanctioned and at best with the state looking the other way, uh, it, it seems pretty logical that, that, that one... Uh, aspect, and I would argue an essential aspect of fixing that situation is paying people back, admitting what you did and paying people back. And so I, I'm one who've always, who's always viewed reparations, or not always, but certainly since I wrote the article, as uh, viewed you know, reparations not as part of a solution, not as uh, uh, one solution, but as, as the essential solution. I don't know how you uh, fix a situation where you have a, a 20 to 1 wealth gap in this country without some sort of transfer. Because the transfer is exactly what happened to us, a negative transfer.
4: A transfer of our labor, our yes, values. our bodies. Our yes. bodies. Everything. Other people. Yes. Um, so um, I hate to ask you what's next because you're just at the end of a really difficult book tour. I'm sure it's been exciting. I'm not exhausting. Oh, really? It's going on after this? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. I, got, I got another uh, two out of three weeks. Another
5: two out of three
3: Yeah, weeks. you can ask me when my after this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. You know, I'm very, very pleased. You know, I uh, overpicked the book up. I was very, very... Uh, shocked and surprised and just you know elated by that mm-hmm. um i'm happy that there's an audience i'm happy that you guys are uh here listening to my haranguing uh, uh on the country and <laughs> things that we'd rather not talk about um and so i have another two weeks of that you know and then i'm going to take my family on vacation for thanksgiving and i'm going to chill out for a little while that's what's next for me and i'm going to enjoy my holiday
4: all right well you deserve it tanasi coats, thank you very much <laughs>
6: Good evening. I'm Steve Edwards, the Executive Director of the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics, and I wish this event had garnered more interest. Uh, It's fantastic to see such a packed audience for what we know will be a terrific conversation tonight. And before we get into a formal introduction for tonight's event featuring Ta-Nehisi Coates and the case for reparations. I want to make a special thanks to all of our partners here who helped make tonight's event possible. Uh, The International House, which is hosting us tonight, this is part of their Global Voices series, our friends at the Center for the Study of Race, Politics, and Culture, the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs, and the National Public Housing Museum. Please join me in giving them a warm round of applause for all of this. you know, I think many journalists, many writers will spend their entire career hoping to have the kind of impact cumulatively that ta has had uh, in just his time as a writer, but particularly in one article in the June issue of The Atlantic. The case for reparations, 15,000 words, set deeply here in Chicago spanning hundreds of years of history, took a topic that for so many of us had been marginalized, historicized, and largely absent from the public conversation and put it front and center. Um, to put some perspective on the kind of energy and conversations that this triggered, not only in evidence here tonight by all of you here, um, more online visitors read that article in a single day than any previous Atlantic magazine story. We're talking about a publication with 150 plus year history. Uh, The June issue sold 60% more copies on the newsstand than its counterpart the same year ago. And in more than 200 events that we've been able to host here in our short two years on campus at the Institute of Politics, this has been without question one of the most anticipated conversations tonight. Um, This is part of our series of events where we hope to elevate and expand the public conversation. We'll be taking a a brief hiatus, as all of you do, for Thanksgiving and then back at it the first week of December. Uh, We will have a conversation that will focus on national security featuring the Washington Post's David Ignatius, also former Congresswoman Jane Harman, and former U.S. Ambassador to NATO Evo Dalder that will take place on Thursday the 4th. You can find out more about that event and all of our other events at politics.uchicago.edu. Tonight's event is being uh, live-streamed and recorded for podcasts. You can check out all of our podcasts on iTunes by subscribing to UChicago IOP. And you can also follow us on Twitter, at Politics. Finally, um, during our conversation tonight, we will, as is customary at the Institute of Politics, open the floor to your questions. And we ask, though, that when you do, we're going to expand, actually, the time for questions tonight, just given um, the size of this audience and um, I know the interest that many of you will have in joining the conversation. But to accommodate as many of you as possible, we ask that you keep the questions short and to the point. Uh, We ask that they actually be a question. Um, and the moderator has reserved the right to sort of cut you off, if, if that's not the case. And in keeping with the university's values, we also ask that you uphold those standards of inquiry and civility and open discourse. I'm here to formally introduce our speakers on our program tonight is Anastasia Kaiser. She's a fourth year at the university majoring in economics and public policy. She's a member of our student executive board, and uh, tonight's event uh may not have happened if it weren't for her. We have a proposal process where students actually can suggest speakers and programs that the Institute will bring to campus, and she brought the Ta-Nehisi Coates suggestion through our uh, proposal process. I'm proud to say, even before the Case for Reparations cover story, please join me in welcoming Anastasia Kaiser to the podium. <laughs>
7: Today we are incredibly fortunate to be joined by James Bennett, the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic, and by Tanahasi Coates, a senior editor and writer for The Atlantic, to talk about Tanahasi's powerful piece, The Case for Reparations, which most of you are holding and which all of you should read. The article, which was published in the June 2014 issue of The Atlantic and is set mostly in Chicago, was the product of two years of reporting and was released to overwhelming reader response and to overwhelming critical praise. The Case for Reparations argues that long after slavery ended in America, decades of racist policies and deliberate injustices, from redlining to Jim Crow, have systematically wronged generations of African Americans, and that, quote, "until we reckon with our compounding moral debts, America will never be." Ta-Nehisi Coates is currently the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. visiting Scholar at MIT, where he teaches a class on writing and journalism. In 2008, he published the Beautiful Struggle, a memoir about growing up in West Baltimore. And when I told people that I would be introducing Ta-Nehisi tonight, three of them said to me separately, he's one of the people in America I admire the most, and he's maybe one of the most admired journalists of our time. James Bennett is the 14th editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. Prior to joining the magazine in 2006, he was the Jerusalem bureau chief for The New York Times. Both of these figures are incredibly inspiring to me as an aspiring journalist. So I hope you join me in giving a very warm welcome to our two distinguished guests this evening, James Bennett and Ta-Nehisi Coates.
8: very much, Steve and Anastasia, Um, uh, and I'd like to say thank you to the Institute of Politics um, for having us out and International House for hosting us tonight, and thank you to all of you for being here. Um, Ta-Nehisi struck a a very, very deep chord with this piece, and um, it's a wonderful compliment and testament to the power of his work um, that you're all here. We're going to talk for maybe a half hour at the start and then open it up to questions from you guys. Um, we'd like to get to as many as we can about this story or about other subjects Con he has been writing about that might be on your minds from Bill Cosby to um, Ferguson to, to, uh, to uh, what it's like to learn French at his um, advancing age. Uh, but first we're going to show a video that the Atlantic did to accompany this piece, maybe you should set up the video, talk a little bit about what people are gonna see.
3: Well, uh, you know, one of, one of the cool things about uh, working on the case for reparations, is, uh, shortly after I, you know, presented the idea uh, to, to my editors, including James, uh, there was this immediate feeling that uh, this was the sort of piece that we could approach in a multimedia uh, sort of way. So if you look at uh, how the case for reparations looks online, um, The Atlantic puts tremendous amount of resources into, you know, all of its stories. Anytime you see, you know, like a big feature like that, what's behind that is, you know, a lot of hard work in terms of editing, a lot of hard work in terms of fact checking, a lot of hard work in terms of copy editing, a lot of hard work in terms of reporting and writing, resources. Uh, But I think, you know, there was some feeling uh, among folks at The Atlantic that, you know, uh, more resources could be put in another direction, and that was to create a, a, a multimedia uh, feel for the story. So if you read it online, you can see uh, we have maps of Chicago, for instance, that reflect the red line. That's, you know, a big part of it. Uh, you can see that we have, you know, primary text that you can look at when we're talking about the period of, of enslavement in this country. You can even see uh, the, the original piece uh, that we did, <laughs> that we didn't even know we had done until we started
8: researching this, but that
3: we had done on our North Lawndale and, and, and contract uh, buying. And, uh, in 1972. In
8: 1972.
3: In 1972, and so uh, it was, you know, you know, quite a joy to be able to come back, you know, to, to North Lawndale and, and, and write about the neighborhood and, you know, uh, revisit the issue. And one of the ways we did it uh, is in this film, which uh, profiles the, the Contract uh, biasly League. Uh, and this is, you know, tremendously important to me because what it shows is that, you know, you can talk about, you know, uh, the 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 boot on the neck you know, of African-Americans uh, in, in a city like Chicago or nationally. But the other side of that is people who are struggling against. There's always a struggle, you know, against. it. so this, this video is very much about that struggle.
9: The question of housing is one of the major problems this country faces. By and large, blacks live in substandard housing. Those who manage to fight their way out of it frequently pay a large penalty to do so.
10: I came from Birmingham, Alabama, but I came to Chicago for a better living and a job. I bought here, this house, in 58. It ain't nothing to brag about, but it's mine.
11: My name's is Clyde Lawson. I was born in, uh, Clarkson, Mississippi. I bought this house in 1958.
2: I moved in this house in 1957. It was mostly a white area. And when they said that the, the niggers was coming, they didn't say black. They said the niggers was coming. And, uh, they start just start moving away. Mostly everyone that was black, they had been sold a contract. If you missed the payment in three months, they could take the property back. No lawyer, no nothing could help you. That was it.
9: There are blocks like this scattered throughout the Lawndale section of Chicago's West Side Ghetto. The people who live here bought their homes from real estate speculators that double or triple their value, and they bought on contract because they couldn't get conventional or FHA mortgages. Under the contract, the buyer makes installment payments at high interest, but he bills no equity if he defaults on even one payment at any time during the contract, he loses the property and everything he's paid into it.
5: We'll pay twenty
11: six thousand and the house is worth twelve thousand. That means I was overcharged quite a bit. And the contract situation was so bad until uh well there was something broke down you had to fix it. Uh you had to pay your water and gas and electricity and your taxes and the other thing else. But you didn't have an ownership.
2: How could we be charged like that if that wasn't a, a law? And how would they, the law let them do this? But they said it was their property. They had a choice to sell it at whatever price they wanted to. And if you bought it, then that was on you.
11: We're three jobs. <laughs> I was the council, post office, and other different pieces four to five years. I get home at 10 o'clock every night, you know. Leave home at 6 o'clock every morning. Kiss me, sleep. You know, see me. And when they did see me on the weekends, I tell them something. They look, at, they look at their mama and say, well, should I do it or should I not? Do it with this guy, you know. I was a stranger in my own home because of this contract thing. We're really just strangers. I said, this is not going to work. These people who have cheated us out of more than money, we have been cheated out of the right to be human beings in a society. We have been cheated out of buying homes at a decent price. Now, it's time now. we got a chance now. The Contract buyers League have presented a chance for these people in this area to move out of this grip of society, to move up stand on your own two feet. Be human beings. Fight for what you know is right. Fight!
9: I really believe that, you know, ultimately what we're after is some kind of communication among human beings, but that can
6: only be
9: affected when people can approach each other on the basis of equality.
6: Yeah, but even though you are keeping within
9: the law, this is really war, isn't it? Uh, Yes, it is.
5: The college students and I went up and down the streets and asked people if they bought on contract. And we discovered that the average overcharge was $10,000 and then computed the monthly payments so that we knew that black folks were paying a race tax of about $20,000 per
10: family. You would just go to their house and ask them, is you on a contract? Some of them say, I don't know, some of them didn't want to talk to you. And they they would say, no, I'm on a mortgage. But when they bring the paper, I know it wasn't on a mortgage because that's when I had a piece of paper. Everybody was on contract.
5: People on the west side (laughs) and the south side were being blamed for things that were not of their own making. This is the best example I can think of of institutional racism white folks created to get And it drives me crazy today even that we don't admit that.
9: The people of Lawndale organized the Contract Buyers League and during the past year the league began urging large numbers of buyers to withhold the payments on their contracts. By withholding the payments the league has managed to renegotiate enabling the buyer to build equity and saving him an average of $10,000.
5: There were 550 500. families in the payment strike. People mm-hmm. knew how to handle pickets. People knew how to handle you tell them their neighbors. But when you're hitting them in the pocketbook with a payment strike, that was serious business.
11: They said, well, you got to pay this money
5: to $2.60 every
11: month. No, we ain't paying you nothing
9: until you get this contract right.
1: They
9: came up Rang the bell, still in bed, and the wife went to the door. They served her with a paper, and then they came on in. What did they say to you? They said they were going to evict us. And where's your furniture now? Out on the street. What do you plan to do? Do you believe that you should forward it and pay it like you were doing before? No, I won't. I won't give them the money.
11: We just wanted to get a fair price for the house, you know, and we wanted the mortgage where we could have ownership of the house. And the contract violated brought us to a point where we could understand that uh, we could do something about this.
9: The people of CBL have come together. No matter what happens, we are fighting for one thing. That is justice. And believe me, as long as we stick together and keep growing in large numbers like we done now, something got to happen.
10: I've always wanted own my own house because I worked for white people when I was in the South and they had beautiful homes and I always said one day I was going to have me one and I finally did
2: the house was paid for no more fright of losing it it felt good it really felt good
12: Y delete, bueno, and Y delete.
1: the
8: discussion. Uh, Two of the heroes of that story are actually with us tonight, Um, Clyde Ross and Jack McNamara. Would you, gentlemen, would you mind standing, please? (laughs) The story of uh, triumph or
3: despair. Swear you, swear you
1: ask that? Because um, even as I was
3: watching it, it, it bothered me a little bit. I mean, no disrespect really to costumes, our, our, our genius you know, video editor. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I'm happy. You know, for, for the great work, you know, Jack did uh, for Mr. Ross for his, you know,
5: ridiculous,
3: incredible, almost superhuman determination. Um, I have, you know, no problem saying that were I in that situation, I, I would have lost my home. Um, and, and I don't think that's, you know, um, a particularly shameful thing. The people that you, you saw, and, and I was aware of this, and, you know, I think, you know, Mr. Ross and everybody went through this, were aware of the stories that you, that you hear about heroism. These are the exceptional people. The vast majority of black people, though, and, you know, this can never be forgotten, the vast majority of black people are ordinary, um, just like the vast majority of, of, of humanity is ordinary. Most people are not going to be able to work, you know, three different jobs. At the same time, you know, in order to hold on to their homes, it's just—it's just not, you know, uh, within the normal human, you know, range of capacity. And so, most people in that situation, in that system, uh, did lose their homes. You know, we had that notion. They—they did lose their home, and other people, you know, were enriched because of that. And so. Um, I think this video is very, very important because I think you know, obviously Mr. Ross, I think uh, Ms. Weatherspoon, I think Ms. Lewis, I think Jack, I think all of the work that they put in, all the work of the Contract Buyers League, you know, it deserves you know uh, recognition and deserves that great you know standing applause that, that folks just gave. But at the same time, I, I don't want um, people watching that video and walking away with this kind of smug happiness that, for instance, we often have about the civil rights movement. You know, this need to give ourselves, you know, prizes and, and, and awards because somebody, uh, through a struggle that they should not have had to, you know, wage in the first place. Never forget that. Never forget that it was unjust that, you know, Mr. Ross had to work three jobs in the first place. Uh, you know, you know, managed to do it. It's, um, I, yeah, I think about, this is a quick digression. I think about, this. I was watching a documentary on uh, the Freedom Riders uh, a while back. And uh, actually two weeks ago not <laughs> Not that
1: long ago <laughs> um,
3: because you know what that is gonna flatter what I'm about it's gonna flatter me a little bit too much what I, So I, I thought about the Freedom Rises and my understanding was the Freedom Rises the day they had gone south and they were trying to you know integrate uh, in, interstate you know bus lines and integrate you know the waiting uh, areas and everything uh, that they were actually trying to affect a change of law What I did not realize was that in fact segregation by letter of the law was illegal at that point the Supreme Court had already ruled on it And what the Freedom Riders were actually trying to do was to get the federal government to enforce the law as it was, you know. And that, I mean, and to see that, and then, you know, to see Bobby Kennedy and the way that, you know, he assaulted them in the press, uh, to see, you know, how, you know, for President Kennedy, how, you know, they they were just basically, you know, a pain, you know, in the rear end. And and you think about that, and yet everybody wants to be proud about the Freedom Riders today, you know, but how did we as a state regard them in, in that time. You know, so I think like it's very, very important that you know, you know, we as a country, we as a state, not you know, uh, use these moments like this, you know, like all these great anniversaries that we're having right now, to, to give ourselves you know too many accolades and to feel uh, uh, too good about it. You know, the fact that Mr. Ross, the fact that you know, uh, I think the estimate was 85% of African Americans who bought homes during that period, in a contract loan situation was fundamentally unjust. Um that can never, you know, be made good by the fact uh, that, you know, some folks through their own, you know, ingenuity, through their own dignity, to their own hard work fought back. The fight itself that it was brought to them, the war itself, as you know, Jack talked about in the film that was watching was fundamentally unjust and I think, you know, that that should always be remembered.
8: So let's back up. A step or so, and, and why don't you tell the story? How was it that you found yourself in Mr. Ross's living room? Why did you choose to focus on North Lawndale and, and, and more broadly Chicago right. when you were thinking about making the big argument you know, right. that you were making?
1: What? Well,
3: Chicago, as I'm sure you know, most of the people in this room know, is you know one of the most studied cities you know in, in America. Um, you know, sociology basically got its start right here at the university. Uh, Chicago. So, uh, you know, beginning, you know, uh, from, you know, a place of knowing that you're going to have to make a very, very difficult argument for reparations, right? Like most people are not really going to want to hear that. You really need to have as much data as you possibly can. Um, And for Chicago, I mean, it's just a wealth of sociological data, you know, and and history, frankly, on, on Chicago. And the great thing about that, though, is that a lot of that reflects nationally. So you can, you know, there are many books, many studies that can tell you about, you know, what redlining was and what its effect was specifically in Chicago. But we know that redlining was a national system. We're, we're, we're very aware of that. So you can, you know, come to a city like Chicago and, you know, render this really, really, you know, deep and detailed story because so many academics, quite frankly, have done so much research uh, uh, before you. Um, and then you can, you know, by that measure, you know, tell the tell story about the the, the nation Uh, as a whole. So the first, you know, that's a long way of saying laziness. Um, That's the the first thing. You know, I mean, and this is like, I mean, we're working on something else right now, which I won't talk about. But one of the things, you know, it's like, oh, we can't go back to Chicago again. We can't do that. And one of the things that I haven't said this to you, but one of the things that I'm already facing is that there's just not the same wealth of sociological data. That you have in Chicago to, to, to make a case so that was the first thing the second thing was you know in North Lawndale um, I've read Burl Satter's, you know tremendous tremendous book you know the a history of, of contract uh, uh, contract you know the contract a uh, lending system in North Lawndale specifically it's a beautiful beautiful historical work and uh, even though you know uh, Burl doesn't make an argument for reparations uh, in the book he's very clearly you know, leading that way. I mean, it's like an unfinished sentence, you know? Uh, and you can say that in, lot, in a lot of the work about, you know, Chicago, Arnold Hirsch's, you know, work, uh, Making the Second Ghetto, you can see the unfinished sentence that somebody actually did something and that there should be some sort of accounting for it. And so she rendered, you know, frankly, North Lawndale so, you know, deep and detailed in that book. And after reading about the system, you know, I, I believe Burl published a book in like four maybe or something like that. So, you know, I was coming almost 10 years later And I wondered how many of those people, you know, who might have either been interviewed in her book or who were, you know, around, I mean, who were, you know, who had been a part of the Contract Bias League, who had bought homes in that way might actually still be alive. Because I thought it was very, very important to not allow people to easy out of saying, well, you're talking about reparations, you're talking about something that happened 150 years ago. No, we are talking about a system of plunder that begins in 1619 and continues up, you know, arguably if you want to be conservative until, you know, the 1960s. And that people who went through that are alive, and their children are alive, and we can depict and show, you know, how, how that works. And so, bro was very kind, uh, connecting me with uh, Jack, who was, you know, just exceedingly, exceedingly kind with, with his time. Who uh, then connected me with several folks who have been involved in the contract buyout. Mr. Ross was actually lucky enough with the first person I talked to, um, and I, I don't know if I've ever told him, but he was really, really a guiding force in the sense that when I walked in, and I asked him. I said, Mr. Ross. Um,
1: You know uh, where where's
3: your family originally from? And he said Clarksville, Mississippi. I said, well, why why did you come to Chicago? And he said to me, well, we we I was seeking the protection of the law, and I didn't quite understand what he was saying. I asked him again. I said, you know, can you explain that? And he said, well, there were no black lawyers in Clarksville. There were no black police officers in Clarksdale. Uh, there were no black prosecutors in, in Clarksdale. Uh, if you were black in Clarksdale, that meant that there was no law. That meant that people could just come and take things from you. Uh, and nobody, there was nobody there to protect you. There was nothing to appeal to. And that like, uh, really you know shifted the frame for me. Because traditionally, when people talk about the Jim Crow era, you know, as I said, there are only symbols civil rights that, you know, people like to, you know, trot out to make us you know, feel, you know, really, really good about the fact that, you know, we don't have, you know, certain signs up anymore. I mean that, that's sort of how we, we see the South. But what Mr Ross was talking about was no, no, this this was um engineered anarchy. Um, this was, you know, ruled by, you know, pirates, abandoned crafts coming in you know, and taking things from us and us, you know, being branded effectively you know, outside of society, outside of the protections of society. And so I just, you know, thought, you know, if you could you know, sort of show that that string. You know, all the way from Clarksdale, you know, all the way up to North Londo, where you see, you know, a group of people cut out of the usual channels of, of home buying, and then left to the, to the predation of pirates to do whatever they want to those people, to take from those people, plunder from
8: those people. I thought it was, you know, just really, really important. One of the amazing things you do in this piece, and I think in all your work, is you have this ability to reach yeah, and history and extract news from it. It's you it know, I mean, it's our story ourselves but we actually don't walk around thinking about it or talking about it. I should have said actually it's also true that you come to Chicago just because you we'll love Chicago. just so um,
1: <laughs> And so one of the
8: things you do in this piece is show
1: that um,
8: the, the reparation conversation is traditionally been dominated in this country by talk about what's so owed because of slavery. What you show is actually no, it's about the denial of that the across generations. But you also show that there's a very old tradition of talking about and even paying reparations.
12: You
3: also
8: want to talk about that? Yeah,
3: and this is like one of those things where you just have you know a, a hunch as a historian. And, and, uh, in, and a, like there's a very beautiful simplicity to, to reparations guess, that you know has reverberation you know across. History. Um, laws are passed to keep people from taking things unjustly from other people, and it, when in the case that you know things are taken, we often penalize people, you know, for you know repayment. That's just a basic thing that you know is, is as old as human society. And if that's the case, then
1: it can't be as
3: is often presented that you know this argument started in 1960. You know, certainly there was someone who was enslaved and realized that something had been taken from them and um, they should get it
12: back, <laughs> you
3: know. So I had like this hunch, and then, you know, as soon as I started, you know, calling around and talking to historians, you know, it became clear, you know, reparations, the argument for reparations is literally as old as the country itself. I was just doing some research. It's funny how things hit you. I was doing some research today to have this discussion via Twitter, having this discussion via Twitter, <laughs> discussion via Twitter um, about um, the roots, you know, of all these Ivy League schools enslavement, right? And no one knows about this. It's a great book by Craig Wilder,
12: Ebony and Ivy. Dick's. The one of the things that people
3: don't know, he's, uh you know, a, a speed uh for Harvard Law School. It goes back to a gentleman by the name of Isaac Wilder. Uh, Isaac Roe was a big, big slaveholder uh, in the Caribbean and also in Massachusetts. And I didn't make this connection when I read the story, but Isaac Royal is, you know, uh, turns out to be a royalist. <laughs> oh it turns out to be a royalist. It's a little bit of corny humor, but yeah, corny historian humor. <laughs> royalist. Royal, Royal. <laughs> <laughs> can't, I mean, come on, you got to laugh at that <laughs> Sorry. That was really corny. I'm sorry. Um, and so, you know, he, he, he flees after, you know, the revolution. And one of the people who he, who he owns is, is Belinda Royal. He leaves all of these you know, resources aside. You know, and, and Belinda Royal, with the help of the free African-American population uh, in Boston, in the 18th century, the late 18th century, uh, makes the case. You know, listen, I was, you know, pagan you know, from Africa at a very, very young age, I was worked all my life. Much of what, you know, this man has accumulated here in Boston is a direct result of my labor. I should get
1: something for that. Um and
3: crazily enough she actually does get something. The legislature, you know, passes a pension that they take basically out of the property that Mr Roy owns and she actually, you know, uh gets reparations. We have a whole uh tradition the Quakers, for instance. Very, very big. Early Quakers in the eighteenth century, very, very big. It you know, immediately occurred to them that um when you enslave, everybody knows like the Quakers took this stand against enslavement and said, listen, you know, at least in certain sections of the Quakers, you're going to hold slave, you can't be a Quaker anymore. What, what less people know is that in a lot of the meetings around the state, they also took a stand and said, and not only do you have to free, you know, all the people that you've enslaved, but you actually have to give them things. So there's a history of of, of Quakers paying out reparations. There's a history of of even our founding fathers paying out reparations. I want to get this right, but I'm pretty sure that when George Washington, you know, he leaves in his will, all of you the folks that he's enslaved will be emancipated. He doesn't just cut them loose. I I want to say this, and forgive me if I'm not getting the figure right, but I believe he gives them 10 acres and leaves, you know, money left aside for their education. So um, we we have a whole history of this. There's a guy we quote, you know, who was president of Yale, who immediately says, he says, listen, to cut these people loose, You know, and just to, you know, lead them into the wild and not do anything for them, you know, it's it's a a travesty. You know, and it will be down upon us. You know, we will pay this. When God, you know, comes before us and, you know, has to make a judgment, you know, he'll remember that this is how, you know, we handled one of one our, our, our greatest sins. So one of the things, and this is just theoretical, one of the things that you notice, though, is you can trace the history of white people actually making the argument for reparations until roughly about 1820 or 1830. And what happens around 1820 or 1830s? is you get this cotton boom in the South. And enslaved black people, the value of enslaved black people just shoots through the roof, such to the point that by the time you get to 1860, there are 4 million enslaved black people uh, in the South. Um, and taken together, they're worth some $4 billion, uh, a number that exceeds basically all of the assets, all the productive capacity, all the railroads, all the nascent factories, basically you know, all the banks, everything that we have, in America put together is worth less uh, than the enslaved uh, black people in this country um, and that's like a uh, you know I'm not saying that as a definite in terms of like when you see this reparations argument trail off among white people but it's you know subject for further study <laughs> and so what happens is after 1865 when black people are you know um, uh, when you get emancipation uh, it becomes a primarily primarily black argument so not totally, not totally. You know, you have, like, actually ex-Confederate officers with whole, whole, whole sorts of schemes for reparations, you know. Uh, but then you have just, it becomes, a you know, a black political tradition uh, of asking for it. So I think the importance of that is to understand that this is not, you know, something that, you know, some crazy, you know, woolly-eyed, you know, radicals came up with in 1968 and suddenly decided. Because what people will say is, well, you should you know, ask for it in 1865. Well, people did ask for it in 1865.
1: You know, the society
3: was not structured <laughs> such that, you know, to, to, to grant that request. We have people on the record, you know, asking for it. And, and the fact of the matter is the strategy of the state has always been to deny the request at the time. And then once those people die to say, you know what, we should have paid it, but it's too late now. I mean, this is just a typical, you know, a, a strategy of, of, of running out the clock. But I think it's important to know that this is not, you know, an argument that begins in the 1960s. This is a very, very
12: old argument in matter. you
8: describe a bit about your own intellectual history with this idea? <laughs> uh, Anastasia mentioned your memoir earlier, The yeah. Beautiful Struggle, story of your growing up in West Baltimore. I'm wondering what you, how you understood growing up, the kind of relative position, economic position of whites and blacks in America, what the reasons were
0: right. for it,
8: and when it began to make sense to you that there was maybe some um, justice in a solution like this.
3: Right. So, you know, I, I, you know, I talked about this earlier, very early on in, in, in my life, and I, and I think this is true for a lot of, you know, black people. um you understand the community that you live in is very very different than at least America as it projects itself you know out to the world on television um, and you're clearly clearly aware of that um, I had the you know the great you know luxury and the great asset of having you know fairly you know well-read parents you know who you know and I owe a lot of books in my house so you get some sense that okay you know this is related to racism you know if you wanted to understand why you live a certain way and why other folks live a certain way you know, uh, you, you, you get the answer, you know, racism. Well, in the crudest speech, you know, in some of our houses, you get the white man. That's like the argument, you know. I can remember being a kid trying to picture like the white man, what, what actually, what does that look like? Like, this is like one white man, literally like, you know, like sketching, okay, black people are gonna live over here, white people. Like, what does that mean, you know? But in black communities, that's what people say, oh, the white man ain't gonna let you have a white man. White man, How? And there were no white people in my neighbors. I didn't know any white people. <laughs> so I felt like that was a physical, I have like that as a very strong memory, like wondering, is that an individual person? But <laughs> <You
11: know? laughs> what you have
3: to do, you know, you get that answer and then you, you know, as you get older and you know, you, if you're curious, that you know, doesn't quite like totally add up, you know? And people tell you things like they say, well, you know, the, the, the entire country, you know, is built on your back, you know, it's built on taking things from so you, they ripped you off, da da da." And that's, you know, rhetorical. And I'm not mocking that because you know what became clear later to me was that that reflects some deep intuitive sense of the truth, even if you can't you know connect all the dots, you have some sense of what happened. so you know as I you know grew older and I you know went off you know to school and you know studied the problem even more, I actually moved away from reparations, you know, because there's this tendency in you know these institutions of higher education and you know just an exploration is just to try to complicate everything, which I think is a good impulse, but sometimes it ain't that complicated, man. You know, sometimes it's just, it just, you know, you took that from that person and that. You know, it's just math. It's just one plus one. But there's like this tendency. And, we, you know, this is good. I don't want, you know, I don't think this is bad. Like, I don't think it's a bad phase. They say, well, you know, have you accounted for class? And you know, have you thought about this? And then, you know, how does gender figure into this? And that's good. You should ask those questions. Please don't take that the wrong way. You should, but a lot of times you ask, you, can, you ask those questions, and I went through that phase over and over. Maybe it doesn't account for this. Maybe it was that. Maybe it's this. Maybe there was a system you know, over here. What do, you know, what do you think about poor whites in Appalachian? You go through all of those phases of trying to figure it out, right? And then you come back, and what you end up with, even if you say it in some you know, more sophisticated way, you end up with the white man. That's what you say. You come back. So, then you don't say it like that, right? That's not how you say it.
1: Because that's not what it is.
3: But you know that guy who you know when you were eight years old was like you know you've been ripped off. You know he built it all on your back. Damn, he was right. You know? But now, but it's good because see because you went through all those phases. You have the science right, and you can you know cite studies and dates, and you get figures, and you can put you know all of this mathematics behind what was just intuitive before. And that you know just makes it you know really really stronger. But I tell you that that. It was deeply, deeply chastening to, to me, you know, to come back to some truths. You know, I was raised around um, a, a very, very radical, you know, uh, uh, black nationalist tradition. And, you know, as I got older, there was a strong impulse to interrogate that and subject it to as much rigor as as, as I could. And, you know, I would not have predicted this, you say, 15 years ago, but the fact of the matter is what happened was you ended up coming back to that. that the science itself ultimately brought you back, not to all of the conclusions, not to all of them but certainly to some of them. It you was know, certainly to, 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 to reparations, you know, and I did that, you know, I would not, you know, say that I was, um, I can't tell you that, you know, I was always on board with that. I can't tell you that, I, I, you know, in any, you know, it's very nice that, you know, the, the um, article has reached, you know, uh, uh, masses of people. But the thing that really, really humbles me is there were some people who um, did not need to read Making a Second Ghetto, <laughs> who did not need to make five visits to North Lawndale, uh, who did not, you know, need to, you know, go through all of this, you know, rigmarole, you know, that I needed, you know, to to reach, you know, a basic essential truth about
8: what, what had happened. Do you have a clear picture now of what this white man actually looks like? No, <laughs> no, no,
3: no, because I think, like, I mean, you got to think about that some sort of metaphorical sense. I mean, it's a way of using a person, <laughs> you know, to, to implicate an entire system, I think, or to represent an entire system. But, yeah, that, it was a very interesting point. I think in my mind I picture Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's, like, that's like I think
3: of Ronald. But you know what? You know what I think that is though. I, I think that's just because actually, in fact, I think that's just because Reagan was a pres was president through the period in which I was hearing those words. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like for the early period of my life, when my you know when my family and my you know the friends of my parents would say things exactly. like that, Reagan Whoa. was the president. And so it's like an immediate like association with that in my mind. <laughs> It's not even policy-based. I mean, you can make that association too, but I think a lot of it is just being a child during that period.
8: Can you categorize reactions to this piece? What kind of feedback have you gotten? There was immense reaction in the moment, and subsequent weeks you've been out talking about it some since then. Well, actually, a good good deal and continue to write about it. right. And so young, old, white, black, male, female, how would you describe what kind of patterns you've seen and how people react to this argument?
3: Well, so, I mean, for me, the most interesting, and I, you know, I would argue the most gratifying has been, you know, um, African-Americans who are above the age of, say, 60 or so, um, because they have direct experience with this. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, I share some of this. You know, with you, you get, you know, letters from people's children or from the people themselves, and they say, that was me. That was me. That you know that that happened, and you know, and that that has not simply come from Chicago. That's that's been you know a national outpouring. Um, that is gratifying in the sense that you know folks got their story told, and you know that that, that pleases me uh, a great deal. Um, across the board for African Americans, again, there was this intuitive sense somebody did something to us and they owe us. Now I can't give you, you know, all the math on that. I can't, you know, outline how the system happened, but I'm going to tell you, I know this ain't a mistake, you know, and I know that I'm not crazy. Um, So for a lot of people, I think for a lot of African Americans, the feeling has been um, uh, um, reassuring almost. I was not crazy, you know. Um, So I think, like, that's been one thing. And I think, again, in the way that The Atlantic did it, like, you know, you can look at the article, but then you can actually, like, physically see the maps. I think it's just so, like, jarring. I mean, it's not even really hard. This doesn't, you know, again, this is one plus one. You know, red line was here. That's where we lived. This is what the policy was. You know, um, and we have so many quotes. I mean, you know, you know, just to have like... Right. Hey, hey.
8: I mean, I, you know... i actual
3: requirements for Right. So you
8: couldn't give a mortgage.
3: Right, to, right, right. You know, and, and they're and they're right there. Yeah, and all folks like brother. from say like the, the trade organization, you know, at one point we got like the trade organization. You know, very explicitly saying, here's who you should not sell to in, in white neighborhoods. You shouldn't sell, you know, to, you know, a madam, you shouldn't sell to, you know, a drug dealer or whatever and near do well a thief. You shouldn't sell to a black person, you know, of means who thinks that, you know. With a college degree. Who thinks right, right, who right, thinks right. that they have a right to improve yeah. themselves or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, and so it's like clear. I mean, that's just one plus one, man. You know, um, and I think like all I talk about implicit racism and trying to, you know, read things into things and, you know, things not. and you know, that's blinded us to how much of that is so real. So I think for folks to see that, it's like, you know, you know it says, well, yeah, yeah, I wasn't crazy. And then, you know, there's been a reaction from, from white people, which has been really, really yeah, interesting maybe. to me. Um, who just like come up and say I I, I just didn't know, I and mean, that's just the main you know yeah I, I didn't know how did this happen I had no idea I had no idea somebody will say I had this conversation just uh, you know a few weeks ago somebody says you know I, I grew up in this neighborhood not here so but a particular neighborhood I think the woman was from Milwaukee and he said and I, I you know I was friends with a, with a little black girl and her dad was a doctor. And I remember going to her house and wondering why her dad was a doctor and they lived in that neighborhood. And I, I didn't understand why they didn't live in a neighborhood like we lived in. And that just sort of, you know, you know, going over and you just go over today, right, just nods on you and you keep going. And then to, like, see it, you know, laid out, I think, you know, it was quite shocking you know, for for a lot of people, whether they bought the case for reparations or not, but to see the actual policy, you know, I think is is pretty oh, yeah.
8: undeniable. I'll explain the way reaction a little bit more. Do you mean... Thank you. I now understand how the world looks through your eyes or thank you. I now understand why I think it's now I understand over. my country a little better. It's
3: mostly um, stunned Like it's a kind of stunned. Oh my god. This really happened
8: But is it also that now I understand why this set of issues will not go away? Like maybe I'm not
3: sure you know. actually I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure maybe maybe I, the thing that sticks with me is just the short the, the sheer like, folks are astounded. Like, they're just, just astounded, And I think a lot of that is because, you know, we think about... Because, you know, okay, so, I, you know, yes, I, I knew slavery was brutal. Okay, fine, I knew that. And yes, I knew Jim Crow was brutal. Yes, yes, I knew that. But I didn't know that rolled into that was the denial of where people could buy their homes and, you know, a kind of intentional denial of people's ability to build wealth. And then having done that, setting them out in such a way so that people could take from the wealth that they had built, I just think you know a lot of people just didn't know. A lot of people just didn't know. I mean, again, like I had the intuitive sense, I had some sense of red line, but when you see people, you know, actually say things, it's just, it's tough. I mean, the case that you know with the contract buyers leave. When you when you see the the foreman of the jury walk out, you know after you know the case you know goes against the contract buyers, they and say, you know, explicitly say to a newspaper, you know, we hope that this will help you know write all the nonsense that you know began with Brown versus the Board. It's like Jesus. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do with that? That don't require reading no tea right there. Yeah. You know? And to have you know, just be one, it's, it's, I mean, it is. It's a little astounding. And so I think, you know, for a lot of folks, that, that that was tough.
8: I'm going to open it up to you guys in just a minute. I a couple, couple more questions. I wonder what you think. You had occasion to sit down a couple of times with the president and um I wonder what you I mean and this is terribly unfair it's type of so many levels and so forth and so on. What do you think he makes of this, argument? Get out. Wow. Are you just
12: about
3: the
12: You know I don't I don't know. No, I don't know. And I
3: legitimately don't know. I haven't, you know, none of those occasions came um come after he Peace came out. That's for sure.
10: <laughs> yeah,
3: Been invited back I know, after that. Uh, but I don't think that's why. But half is so okay. I don't think that's why. Um,
12: oh
3: Listen, I think the um, president is um, um, like really, really intelligent. Like, this is just really, really intelligent. And I think uh, you know it's tough to deny the math there. You know, I think it's like really, really oh. hard to to fix your mind to say no, nothing is
1: owed. I think mean, that's extremely,
3: extremely difficult.
1: Now you can you know maybe say well here's
3: why I can't pay. Although I think that's difficult too. Um, but I, I like to think you know he would at least acknowledge the debt. You know, having said that, you know he's in a very difficult position. I think because is what you know it's your private self, right? Like, you, 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 you weren't elected
1: to be your private self.
3: You know, you were elected to represent the United States of America. I was watching, you know, President Adams. You know, it was one of these press
1: conferences after
3: Ferguson. And, you know, people like me, you know, we sit there and we
12: parse, you know, every public statement that he makes and
3: he got it right where we felt he got it wrong. But it's like after Ferguson, to ask, you know, Barack Obama, he's in his, I guess, what, six year at that point, you know, the president can analyze it. I mean, when do you want president of the United States to say,
1: man? You want me to say to you that
3: listen, the folks who lived there are the result the policies this country passed, and the reason why that boy was left laying on the concrete for four hours is a direct reflection about how this country feels about black people
1: and how it's treated
3: black people for the entirety. A residency here in the United States. Why are you surprised? President say that? Can't say that. I mean, your president can't say that. I mean, he just. I mean, he can't. And you know, I felt like, and you know, I don't want to mind read here, but I mean, um, it must be fatiguing, you know, to have to, you know, pride the country forward. You know, at the same time understanding certain things that you must understand pride. You know, and not really, really being able to go there. So I you know, watching, I just felt like it was just a sort of fatigue, Like, hey, Okay, me <laughs> I mean, what do you really you know, what do you actually want me to say about
12: this? Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know,
3: maybe one day he, he has
12: made a, 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 a very different of the discourse
8: a lot when you come back to Washington right, even right. before that
10: you know, self-reliance
8: right. and um, that this isn't about don't expect this to get given to you don't expect it to get to be paid pull yourself up on the right. discrepancy right. Mayor Michael, Michael Hunter's seat <laughs> pull up your pants we'll and a buy a yeah. belt you know, and buy a, buy a bill. Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Do you you sense a change in the in in the rhetoric now? Or first of all, what's wrong with that? Wow. So I, I
3: think I get two ways of looking at you know, here. First, there are people who have no interest frankly, you know, in, in the
1: African-American struggle and in, in the in
3: African-American people, period you know, who are just looking to, you know, not have to take a hard look at history
12: and, like, They say things like that, what the past done that? Like, that's what
3: I think, within the African-American community, and you know, I'm tend <laughs> to some of these people um, there's a very, very different strain. It says yes, yes, we do recognize that. That's definitely true. Yes, something really is old. Yes, we do did get ripped off, but it's a much more um, I don't want to say cynical, let's say pragmatic
1: way of looking at it. Says
3: what makes you think these people are going to do
1: anything? Ah, You know,
3: in your right mind, what what makes you think? What 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 uh, uh, piece of history? What piece of evidence are you able to crunch? To say that some critical mass of white people in this country who realize that you are owed something and in good faith make an effort to pay it back. You know, if I may be so, far, I mean, Mr. Raj, yesterday we had this thing at uh, North Lawndale. Mr. Raj had his own critique of
1: reparations, which I'm
3: sure he would, you know, he would give. it one of the things he said yesterday, he said, listen, if you get reparations, you got to make sure you have a different court system. You better make sure you have a different educational system. You better make sure you've got a different media. You basically better make sure you got a different society. I mean, these are not people who are in denial about the fact that racism They're not you know, in denial uh, about you know, the fact that an actual death. The problem is, you know, so I, start, like, I have like, a, a great degree of respect, but you know, I think that's what like, my dad was in. Me and my father have had this debate for years now.
1: Um, the problem I have
3: with that, though, is um,
1: if you accept the humanity
3: of black people, if you accept the black people, you know, will fall down. The black people, you know, um, because they're new, because they're forty million of us. That you know, to expect a group of forty million people to be twice
1: as bad you know, as an actual
3: pragmatic strategy is to effectively expect them to be superhuman.
12: We don't expect no white
3: people to be
1: superhuman.
12: Uh, and if you accept
3: that the black people are superhuman, you have to accept that they probably can't be superhuman, they can't be superhuman. That is the definition of being human. The mediocrity is part of the, you know, being human is not some, you know, beautiful, you know, experience, you know, written in pastels and flowers. You know, part of that is your mediocrity. That's part of being human, you you know, your ordinariness. And if you, you know, bring that analysis to black people that, you know, sometimes we are just as lazy as the next person, you know, sometimes, you know, we fall down just like the next person and there's nothing exceptional in our laziness, there's nothing, nothing exceptional in our falling downness. Um,
1: The
3: strategy for twice is that ultimately can't work.
1: You know, and it can't work with black
3: people are here, because of the humanity. You know, it, 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 you know. Um, I think that's great advice if you're talking to your, your your child. I think that's great advice if you're talking to your children. I think it's great advice if you're talking to a group of young people you know, about how they need to individually exceed. Because I think you, know, you can have a conversation about how each of us, at the end of the day, is ultimately responsible for the flourishing of our own bodies, for the protection of our own bodies. We have to do all we can you know, to protect our own bodies. And even, you know, if the odds seem, you know, completely against us, you
1: know,
12: you don't really have the luxury of quitting. I think that's
3: one conversation that can be. A, when you get to a policy level,
12: um, and I would, you know, make this critique, not
3: only when you get to a policy level, when you are the head of state, you are the titular representative of America and American heritage, and everything that, you know, America has thus ever done to black people, um, I think you forego the right to stand up and tell people, um, listen. Ultimately, is when you, you pull your pants up because you're the representative of why they got to pull up their pants in the first place. You are a representative of the reason why you know these folks have to be twice as good in the first place. You know the, the president, you know, says.
12: Um, I think if you would even
3: say, well, you know, well, you know, I'm speaking as an African American, you know, you know, been through this experience. That's the place I'm speaking from. I'm not, you know, necessarily speaking as, you know, head of state. But see, the problem with that is when act for policy specifically directed to black, and the answer is, I am, you know, the answer has been, I am the president of the entire United States. Well, I agree with that. I agree with that. And thus, you must be critiqued as the president of the entire United States. And part of that is legacy, part of that is heritage, part of that is the practices. You know, uh, when the president of the United States goes every Memorial Day, you know, it talks about, you know, the sacrifices you know, of, of the American, you know, military. He's invoking the heritage of the
12: Supreme uh, The
3: President of the United States, you know, talks about um, Abraham Lincoln when he goes to Springfield and he did to, to uh, you know, inaugurate his campaign.
1: Right. He's invoking heritage. This
12: is heritage too, man. This is why heritage Please.
1: ain't just the thing why, why that I mean that's I mean, you. It... That that so I think, you know, like like uh, those of us, you know,
3: who, you know, um, you know admire, you know, the President, who respect the President, who think, you know, the President is not, not you uh, know, not
0: you know, carrying and fight a bit, still have
3: a responsibility to critique that.
12: Um,
0: and so, like, as much as I, you know, admire that
3: philosophy, you know, and as much as, um, I very much grew up on that philosophy, and a product of that philosophy, as a policy, because black
12: people are here,
3: because black people are part of the country. I just, you know, I, I don't know how that works as, as, as a national policy, you know, of, of self liberation. You know, we um,
1: we're, we're part of this.
3: We're part of this. You know, uh, we, we, we were ripped off. That, that you know, is the immediate reason for why, you know, we're in this condition. And as hard as the answer, you know, might be to, you know, effect.
12: And, you know, given
3: the fact that the answer might not and probably won't be affected in our lifetime, in our kids' lifetime, maybe not even in our grandkids' lifetime. Um, that does not, you know, uh, forego us. You know, give us the right to, to, to look away. I mean, one of the things. I'm sorry, I get going on this a
1: little bit. Like one of the things, and I'll, I'll cut
3: it off after this. I'm sorry for this more answer. But one of the things I think about is if we look at the black community today, right? And again, you know, starting from the premise of, of humanism,
1: and you say, well,
3: part of the problem is we have not taken, you know, we have not done all that we
12: can do. And you know, we haven't, you know, been, you know, twice.
3: we, you know, we, we followed down on the job. We've done
12: that we If you accept that we,
3: you know, we are as human as other previous generations, then, well, man, you got to look back to the 1960s and the civil rights movement when they were executing black people uh, in Mississippi, in Alabama.
1: Did that generation not
3: do as much as it was supposed to do? Is that a critique that we would make of that? When we look at the era of, of, of political leadership of black people during the Red Summers, during the era of lynching at the turn of the century, and say, you know what? Those people were what too lazy. They could have done it. When we look at enslaved black people in the eighteen thirties and the eighteen forties and say, why didn't you fight harder? You know, why didn't you rebel? Why didn't you if you know, had rebel we wouldn't end up ended up in there. had you been superhuman, had you been twice as good, you could have overthrown slavery on your own through your sheer will. We wouldn't have to do that. That'd be totally, you're totally disrespectful.
12: And so my argument is that you know we should show the
3: same respect that we show for is. ancestors, for the community that came before us, for our young
12: people. If they deserve that, that exact
3: you know, the same respect. And so I just think um
12: you, I think that idea has people. to be
3: interrogated and has to be critiqued, even being sympathetic the way. It comes from let's open it up to questions from the audience. I'd I'd actually
8: like to reinforce Steve's admonition at the outset that
12: please ask your question in the form of a question
7: and um,
8: in a short question to preserve as much time as we can for others to ask
7: questions. Hi, thank you. This question is coming from the DC Chicago Alumni Club watch party. In the month of writing your piece, is there anything you would change or update? Have you seen any progress in reparations as a result of your piece?
12: Thank you. Yeah,
7: I haven't seen any progress.
3: <laughs> but but that, that also, like, I also wouldn't, I, like, it's not my,
12: don't say, it's outside of the realm of a writer to
3: do that. You know, like, I, you know, my job is doing more one. next. I
12: forgot to like make a drink. I forgot
1: I to make, make a
3: drink. drink. Um, I hope that people have been fighting for reparations for a very, very long time. All right, job. let's get this going, I boy hope people give us some ammo. You know, there's activists who've been dealing with this for a very, very long time. I hope it gives them some yeah, ammo, yeah, to you know, go out and you know, do uh, what uh, needs world to be true. done.
12: Um,
3: but as a writer, yeah, I, you know, right I, I, you know, I, I sort of have to, have right now, to keep right now. going, you know. And there's not here here about, about, about the piece I would change. The, the hope right now, is that you know, uh, and, you know, the reporting that I give going forward, you know, it enhances, you know, answers other questions say a
12: applause, bro. We went to Hi,
1: I have a from Chloe, who's watching from our yeah, room. You.
7: you talk about reparations being the full acceptance of our class's biography and its
6: consequences. What steps do you imagine our
12: argue and to achieve this? what you well,
1: I, I, I think that's the first
3: big thing about in the piece. And
12: people, <laughs> they hate the basic answers. Um, you can urge
3: whatever congressional district you, can, you can live in, um, John Conyers introduces H.R. 40, uh, which is a bill to study uh, reparations, and, or, I'm sorry, to study the effects of enslavement and its subsequent legacy on African-Americans and assess this question of whether black people deserve reparations. You can urge your congressman to support H.R. 40. Uh, and this is, you know,
12: um, not a
3: small thing. This is not a small thing at all. Uh, an accounting has to be made. A study has to be made. This is exactly the way the struggle with the Japanese American reparations went for internment. There was a study. There was an assessment made in the damage, uh, and then you know uh, Ronald Reagan,
1: white man, white man,
3: signed a bill. You know, it gave, you know, uh, re- reparations to to, uh, Jap- to Japanese Americans who were interned. I think the exact same yeah, thing needs to happen to other, you know, for other people. There are people, you know, also oh, yeah. who are in the activist community, right. uh, for example, with the Hootland Cobra, you know, who uh, uh, have been pushing a more internationalist approach. Uh,
1: and um, and that, that really is, you
3: know, their vein. You know, I think you can look you know look up some of the activists, for example, who have been pursuing this for years and look at what strategies they're, they're pursuing. You know I mean? You can support that. Um, so I think that there are a range of things. The basic recommendation I get, you know, is to immediately get beyond HR 40. Um,
12: but I wouldn't be contained to that. I wouldn't be restrained. No, no, no. I'd like to know ideally what reparations would look like to you uh, if you had complete control over it,
7: uh, whether it's cash or policy, education or and then what the impact of that would be 10, 20,
12: years down well, the If I had complete control over it, it, wouldn't really be reparations. That's part of the problem. I mean, I, um... I, I think people imagine reparations happening in the current political system as
1: it is today.
3: So, you know, one of the discussions we give, you know, we'll say, you know, there was a check cut right now to, you know, black
1: people, um,
3: you know, whatever yeah. you're going to say. You know, what, what would that effect yeah. be right now? But see, you, you
1: have to envision. <laughs> Let's understand
3: what, how America thinks about racism and black people right now, right? the
1: redone hit
3: idea is pretty much for cool, you, know, you, know. You know, that was in the past. That was a long time. Um, a world in which HR he gets to the house cool. A world in which you know there's a you know partnership for HR40 in the Senate, you know, uh, and a world where you know a president actually gets behind that, and you have actual hearings. That is a very very different America.
1: It's completely completely different
3: America. It's an America with a totally different perspective on its history. It's a very, you know, America with a very, a totally different, you know, uh, perspective on Black people. Um,
1: and, and in that world,
3: what would reparations be? You know, that, that, So I, I, you know, I see it as a, as, a, as a, you know, and you know, folks may differ with me but I see it as, a, as an essentially democratic process. Because if that doesn't happen, and you just cut a check, we learn nothing. I mean, we've actually, we've learned nothing at all. You know, nothing will, will actually, you know, necessarily change. But in a world where reparations does happen, I think, you know, what you have is a broad commitment to fix what happened in the past.
1: You
3: know, so that may, you know, take the form of, you know, deliberately, you know, giving somebody a check. You know, I think about Mr. Klyros and I think, you know, Mr. Clyde Ross a check right now right like you could just do that <laughs> that's something that that, that should be i just to you know to make this like knowable to put this in you know, a, a, a knowable frame look we have the maps you <laughs> know where redlining <inaudible> took place okay
12: we have something <inaudible> we know who lived where.
3: You know, we could set up a process right
12: now, you know,
3: for folks who were, you know, who were, you know, sent into, you know, situations of loans, you know, that were predatory because of redlining. We can, you know, set up a situation right now for folks who can say, you know, listen, I tried to access certain things through the GI Bill, and I was denied.
0: Now, that's not a, you know, that's
3: not, you know, a radical option, but that's like a narrow cast thing that's doable right now, you know, in terms of, you know, folks that, you know, have been ripped off that we know about. I'm not arguing that it should be limited to that. But, you know, we, we do have those starting points. But I think, you know, at a time when you get to that level, that's just it's a totally, totally different America. And it's not just a matter of sending out texts. You study, you know, like the reparations that Germany gave. You know, they, they, you know in the peace we talk about them giving reparations to Israel. But that wasn't the end of it. That was the start of it. You know, the process continues even up till today. What are talking about? It. Come back to years to. You know, how, how long would that take? How long would it take to make that right? But you know, a country that gets into you know the the, the mode I think is, is, you know would be would be committed to that law. This is a different America. One And two is
12: what's
4: the next? step, and, you know,
1: after you experience the shock, you like uh-huh. really know, bye, Dave, Dave, what y'all got to you drink. drink? Yeah, I'm working Is on that, that in? Right
3: so I okay. uh, but, um, it's kind of rooted for, but it's not. It's not like the case for Remley,
12: um, I, I don't know what
3: You know, I don't. I don't know where shocked
1: white person goes after you know that this is so I mean, that, that really is for shocked
3: white person to decide. You know, I mean, are you gonna You know, just be shocked? And you know, and I, I, I'm not. You know. Like, there's a kind of shock, well, I didn't know that happened,
5: Then you just continue on with your death,
3: right? But you like to think that people will keep reading. You know, you like to think that people will, you know, to, to pursue, you know, their education and will not, you know, stop, you know, with, you know, with the Atlantic and will, will go on. Um, as a right-ass, beyond my control. You know, I, you know, I try to play my position. I, I do my part. You know, I hope that fo folks continue to self educate. You know, I always, you know, try to be very clear about the resources I use to educate myself. You know, and, and I hope that people follow
12: me. Um, yeah.
7: Yeah. The anti eviction campaign that works to repossess, repossess abandoned houses. Um, these houses can be incorporated
1: the
3: reparations. Well, this is the first time I'm hearing about it, so I'm not really qualified to give an informed opinion,
1: regrettably.
12: Um,
3: yeah, I try to keep my feet underneath me, man, when I throw a punch. So I,
1: you know, I don't wanna, you know, get out. There. that doesn't
3: mean that you know what they're doing is you know unjust or just or anything like that. It's just that I just don't know. I
12: just don't know yeah on? Yes. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. 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 um.
6: So I currently read essays for college seniors at Malibu
4: High School, and it's 92% life, but it's a very high-achieving oh, you know, high school, and so the
3: students are going to colleges with- And it's a very high-achieving, yes. not but. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and a lot of the students are going to very uh, prestigious universities with low black populations, and what uh, do you have a word for the class Yeah as to how to take black culture, mm-hmm. pop culture, to the university? Yeah, I have, I have great advice for them, and the advice is apply to Howard University. <laughs> that, that's my advice, and, and um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be a flip here. It, here's what I'll say. Uh, my advice is to apply to Howard University and then go to those elite schools for grad school. Um, that, that's my advice, and, and here's, here's why I say that. Um, I, it's impossible for me so imagine writing the case for reparations without having gone to a historically black school, um, and Howard in particular. But I, you know, I would I would spread that out to HBCUs in general. The, the, the thing that HBCUs offer and
1: this happens because
3: I you know I'll come to talk to a, at a school like this. You know, I'll be up at, at Cornell where I was, uh, you know, a few months ago, and um, a young lady said to me, she said,
1: "How
3: how am I supposed to deal with you know, that, you know people say I'm here because of affirmative action?" You know, and I, I answered the question, but you know the other thing I said. Is, listen, like that is never. By the time that was my experience, I had gotten to the Atlantic. <laughs> I was like, I was thoroughly formed. Um, I, I never had that as a question in my head at all. You know uh, that you know, I had gotten here because I, out of some you know sort of thing that somebody had done. Um, not that you should feel that way to begin with, but what I'm saying is, I was never. That's a tough thing to face at 18. That's a hard thing to somebody put on you at 18, and you're still trying trying to find yourself. Um, historically, black schools give. African American students the chance to sit back and assess themselves and, and, and confront their tradition in a um, semi-private space. It's not totally private, but in, in, in a semi-private space, and that just allows for a range of debate and dialogue that you know is, is just beyond you know anything that, that you know, I experienced after I left. Yeah, you know, it's one thing um, to have to confront your history. You know, stay here. You know, in in mixed company, which is great. Um, but sometimes we get defensive. You know, we feel the need to defend ourselves against huh? other people. Or a professor, you know, who may not, you know, be black, says something. And you feel this need to defend yourself. And at Howard, that was like totally off the table. You know, it freed people up to say, you know, the things that, you know, you really, really need to say. You know, to talk, to talk seriously. Yeah. One of the things I think about.
12: And I, I'll just tell the story
3: really quickly. You know, I, those of us who, who, who you know and came to Howard, you know, and were heavily influenced by Malcolm X, heavily influenced by black nationalism. You know, I felt this, you know, real, real need um, to, you know, make ourselves human. And the way to make ourselves human was to prove that we had, you know, built things as advanced and as beautiful and as great as anything that white people
1: had
3: built. Um, And that sent us on a chase for heroes. And one of the you know people that I, I think about was a, this a woman uh, who's a you know, brilliant military strategist, Queen of right, what is you know now, now the Congo today. And there's a you know famous story that I remember reading about. And she's going in to negotiate with the Dutch, who are trying to you know take from her, and they they want to disrespect her. So what they do is they don't give her a chair. Right? And she immediately orders one of her servants to you know sit down and basically get on all fours. And she's this woman. Um, as, as a stool, and this story is told, and, and it's true to show, you know, like like the craftiness of Nzinga about how she wouldn't be disrespected. And I read about that.
12: You go someplace like
3: Howard, right? And that's cool, you know. But like the need to assess to uh, assert your self-esteem is not the same. You don't really need it because everybody around you is black. It's clear. You know, the brilliance of black people is right there. There's no you know real argument about that. Damn it, we got to break it that story down and we got to thinking about like what enslavement actually was and how it was actually the loss of your body and how like if you you know really you know get on a human level you want to understand your condition as the descendant of slaves you have much more in common with the woman who was used as a chair than you do with queen and Zynga. and that was like a like a like a profound moment to me you know it's like a deep you know sort of sort of realization that i could not have made you know within you know frankly a, a white space um the, the the opportunity to interrogate that and to interrogate yourself and to subject yourself to the harshest possible rigor you know and then at the end of it you know come out feeling like 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 you're all right you know i saw bellow had written this thing at the time it just greatly greatly disturbed me he wrote um, you know assessing you black guys who is the tolstoy of the zulus i went on this thing i gotta find a tolstoy of the
10: zulus who is the tolstoy <laughs> there must be a tolstoy of the zulus right
3: <laughs> you know, just doing, you know, this reading at Howard, I came across this brilliant Ralph Wiley essay, and Ralph Wiley replies and says, I mean, this is like the most liberating thing I've ever
12: read, this whole the Tolstoy of the Zulu's. <laughs> I'm like, <"Damn>. Wow. <laughs> oh, like the whole,
3: you know, gambit was wrong.
12: Like you can't even accept
3: the premise. That, you know, sort of realism and I sort of interrogates for me, you know, for what I need was only possible. You know, in a black space. So I think, regrettably, you know, you know, this is no disrespect to you know elite institutions. Um, I think though, for for black people, uh, it's essential at that young age to have that room to interrogate yourself, you know, to look at yourself. And then after that, you can go out and you see the world. You know, the world's going to be majority white anyway. You got plenty of time. You got plenty of time to go to Yale, Harvard, Princeton. You got you got
12: plenty of time for that. You know, but at that, that crucial point, I'm a, I'm a big believer
3: in HBCUs. I'm going through this with my time right now. Yeah.
12: So, uh, so,
9: you yeah, touched on this in your piece, and I can talk right now, that essentially when people hear reparations, the immediate
3: snap judgment is the check being mailed out
12: of flag, essentially.
3: And if you actually read your piece, it's clear that what you're asking for, you know, your case reparations, for you reparations, is a reckoning. It's much broader than that check. And yet... you oh, no, a check is part of
1: it. I, I always... A <laughs> <have it. laughs> <laughs> check is part of it. But,
3: Getting your piece name,
6: The Case for Reparations, that very strongly. Was there ever any hesitation or ambivalence before the piece was published about putting that title on the front of it and that it might turn away people who wouldn't otherwise I'm going be more to. willing to even engage in the so.
12: no, we, we, we
8: experimented with a couple of other possible headlines.
12: Yeah,
8: I'm um, having trouble remembering what they were. But basically, from the beginning, yeah. this was what we called the piece, and that was the only reason we hesitated at the last minute because we just thought this had been our headline, right. and the, the way we thought about the story through the editing process, and when it, when it yeah. translates to the outside world, and, uh, we realized it would. Yeah. So we went with it. Yeah, no, no, but it's very
3: a a nice little. I always, I think I told James this before. I always oh, wow. joke
8: that
3: <laughs> um, people always you know, come up to me. I was telling James, and they say.
0: How'd you get that
1: in the
10: Atlantic? <laughs> like,
3: black people, always come up to me, I, I always joke, that I, I want to say, well, you know, I had to tell them white folks, we had to do X, Y, and Z, and they wasn't hearing me, and then we did this and
1: that. <laughs> well, that's
3: so not what happened. This
1: is uh, you know, that's the, just the, not The,
3: what the happened. truth is I
8: was on vacation. <laughs>
3: No, I mean it, the the real truth is, you know, I, I sent the pitch to you know uh, Scott Nassau, and he read the pitch and said okay. And I'm assuming he took it to you. And and folks were like, okay, so how are we gonna do this? There, there was um there was no internal, you know, no resistance to you know the presentation to how we were gonna do it, uh to, to the investment to, to to resources. And I think um. You know, as happy as I am about that, you know, in, 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 in the Atlantic, you know, being willing. to what I actually think is illustrative, and I was talking to James about this earlier. You know, one of the problems why we don't see more arguments like this is,
1: you know, by the time I had, you know, hit that, I didn't you know.
3: In fact, inviting us to the Atlantic for about four or five years. So, you know, we had a relationship. Um, very few African American uh, writers have those kind of relationships
12: with, you know, magazines at the Atlantic. level. Um, that, that's, that's just the truth
3: And I think that's a... You know, more than, more than people not being open, you know, to, to the ideas, it's just the, the relationships ain't there, man. You know, and there are you know, reasons why the relationships aren't there. You know, it's a very, if you think about, you know, how one breaks into the field of magazines, it's a very, very difficult you know, process. It's very, very difficult for people who, you know, might be you know, in the first generation of folks that are going to college, for instance
1: you know, tell somebody you want to work
3: for a magazine, there was, you know, happily, you know, the Atlantic, you know, internship is paid, you know, but that, you know, often is not the case for magazines. certainly was not the case when I was coming up, you know, so you're trying to break in by, you know, either taking a really, really low paying job or, you know, no money at all, you know, trying to live in a city like New York or ABC. Difficult. Very, 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 very difficult. And so
12: I think, you know, it's like good
3: and bad news. I mean, the good news is, you know, folks really, you know, at least at the, I'll speak for the
1: Atlantic. I speak for the
3: Atlantic. The Atlantic, you know, as always, I've, I've never had um, feeling like, you know, hey, I'm saying something
1: crazy and you guys want to look at that. I've
3: never had that. Um, at the same time, um, you, you do look around the landscape and see that there's so few people that actually get, you know, to that point that have that relationship. That's, a, that's the problem with Um, One of the things that you brought up was the bootstrap mentality that seems to pervade everything. I'm one of those cynical old black men that you brought up in your your talk. Uh, There was a study that Gallup did in the 50s
12: that showed that 80%
3: of white folks felt that black people had just as good as white folks. And we hear the same thing now, so when we talk about this political landscape that we need to change in order for reparations to even be a realistic conversation, how do we get white folks to the point to actually understand that we as black people really do know what we're talking about when we tell them something is wrong? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And and I, I, I... I love a cynical old, old black people because what they do is, man, they, they bring the real. I mean, that, that's a real, that's a serious, that's an actual question that has to be confronted. And, you know, I'm, I'm a,
12: as you might observe, I have some conflict in my head about it. Um, so I, I, I think the first thing is, um, if you're going to work
3: within the political process, if you're going to make a decision that you're not going to go out and get guns and try to, you know, overcome If you're going to work within the political process, there has to be, you know, a, a political solution. And I don't know how you get around the fact that it's massive, massive debt. I just, it's huge. I mean, you see it represented in the wealth gap, but I suspect that doesn't even capture everything. I think it, we're at the point where for every, you know, nickel of wealth an African-American family has, uh, a white family has a dollar. So that's a rough approximation of the wealth. That, that doesn't even completely cover it. So, you know, we talk about in the piece, there's a level of neighborhood poverty. The black people experience. So, if you are an African American family that you know uh, makes around $100,000 a year, you tend to live in a neighborhood uh, where people make about $30,000 a year. So, you you know may you know on the income level look like uh, you know a relatively you know rich black family, but you live in housing that is you know comparable to a lower middle class white family. These are tremendous like like hurdles that that, that have to you know be dealt with. And as much as I would like to believe in you know the bootstrap, I, I don't think. It, it gets us there. No, gives an even more distressing thought. I strongly suspect that much of what happens in history is outside of, you know, the direct control of human beings. And what I mean by that the direct intention of human beings. Okay, so if you were uh, an enslaved black person in
12: 1820. You could look all the way back to the
3: all the way back to 1619, see nothing but enslaved black people. Beyond that, if you had economic knowledge of what was going on, you could see the rising value of black people. You can look forward and see that your kids were going to be enslaved too. There was every reason to believe that for the rest of your life, for the rest of your children's life, for the rest of your great-grandchildren's life, life, you'd be enslaved. If you take it from that perspective. That, 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 that would not have that would have been the pragmatic thing to think at that point. And yet people stood up and said this
12: was wrong. So you get to a point where you're talking about like
3: 1855, 1858, around that period. You get somebody like, you know, say Frederick Douglass used to pick one person. He said the just power. the thing this country must immediately do is it must liberate 4 million black people in the world. You know, no question about We ain't shipping them off to Africa. You know, let them right there. It's land. They worth it. They deserve it just as much as anybody else. And people think French does How's that going to happen? Have you looked at the work of
0: what black people,
3: you know, represent... To this country, like, uh, the largest there, concentration of multimillionaires in this country I'm living in the Mississippi River Valley. Not in New York, not in Chicago, not in Boston. Mississippi River Valley,
12: man. The you know, largest export in this country, in 1860, 60% of
3: our export. Wow. Maybe that intrinsic. Who would have counted on white slaveholders overplaying their hand. That's what they did, I mean, that's what they did, they just took it too far, they just, you know, kind of lost their mind.
12: And ended up proving
3: Frederick Douglass right.
12: So that seven years later,
3: you know, seven years before people were saying, you know, Frederick, you crazy. And seven years later, he he looks like a prophet. Because of the events of history, 1860, Douglass is telling people, the immediate and just thing is to, you know, give black people guns and let them fight for their freedom. People are telling, Douglass, you are crazy.
12: You know, you know, white people are in charge of things, you know. Abraham
3: Lincoln order saying, Man, we don't know what these black people do with these guns. They might shoot themselves, they might shoot us. We have no idea what's gonna happen. Emancipation Proclamation comes out and people ignore it. They focus on, you know, like the the idea of Korean people. But the real deal is that the Emancipation Proclamation is a military order and it immediately orders guns to be given to black people so that they can fight on their own behalf. So by the time you get to Petersburg you know, in 1865, you're talking about you know, something like one in ten, know, soldiers at Petersburg, the number might even be higher, you know, are african Americans. are fighting for something that no one would have predicted on the onset of the war What happened? What happened?
12: Well, they thought they were going to be able to wrap the war up quick. Who
3: would have counted on General McClellan being so bad? Who would have counted on that? You know, who would have counted on, you know, the southern generalship being so good and these folks fighting, you know, for dear life to the end. So events that were outside of our control. This goes down to the, to the civil rights movement. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we appreciate the bravery of Dr. Martin Luther King. We appreciate the bravery of, of the Freedom Riders and all of those folks. But what don't talk about is America had a problem at that
12: point. The problem was people were
3: using Jim Crow the weapon in the closet, we had just had you know this fight you know in uh, World War II with Nazis to see you know the logical ends of what racism was, the extermination you know of, of, of an entire group of people. America had a serious, serious problem. Now, how could it preach about you know liberty you know in Russia? You know, and still have, you know, what was going on down, down, down in the south. Now, listen, the activists took to great advantage of it. You know what I mean? They did. But the situation itself is outside of their control. I had to say, I think the job, you know, of folks in our situation is to say the right thing and wait for our opportunity.
12: The opportunity is out of our control. Who
3: knows what's going to happen?
12: Who knows what's going to happen? You know, but
3: just like you know, I, I, you know, folks in 1820, when it looked crazy to say, you know, the the the, the real just thing is to emancipate all of us. did not stop trying to say the right thing. I don't think that's a reason to not say the right
12: thing right now. Yeah, oh I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm not letting it go. Letting
1: it go. <laughs> Keep this going
12: for as long as I want <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: So this this
9: question's going to change, I
12: guess. But
1: it's, it's, it's different from the other question, And that I want to... Um, I appreciate the article. I think it's, it's great. Honestly. But one thing that I had I trouble with is just uh, the that Native Americans don't like occupy. I know that I know the, you say academic but, academic,
12: but there's a tendency to complicate things. I, think, I don't want to do that,
3: but I think it's an important thing to think about when we're talking about
12: right?
5: when we're talking about Black people taking up land in this country. If so when we trace lag, the story um, so back to 1619, what back to and thought about that in terms of reparations, I mean, what should that do to the argument as far as making a case for this for black
3: people when Native Americans has not just undergone genocide historically, but one of the primary ways that they were argued they had disappeared in a very serious subset of Native American studies, one of the primary arguments is that they had diluted their blood by intermixing with black people. So when you look at these kinds of things, when you wrote these into the history of uh, not just Native American
5: people but black people, there's a confluence. There's a convergence of stories that I think
6: necessitates that not just reside in the black-white binary as far as
5: how we look at inspiration, so look at how we understand a larger, more long-term scale. Sorry, I don't mean
12: to go long. My question
6: is simply, how do you rope that into this
12: case right so um
1: i you know, this is the case for reparations uh, i hope it's not the last
12: one
1: you know it
3: should not be the
12: last word
1: um I, you, know, I,
12: I, you know
3: i think in, in progressive circles you
12: know one of the
3: one
1: you know
0: i think it you
3: just you know and, uh, to explain the history of how we can see it. Having said that, you know, I, I believe that the black experience is specific, to a particular thing. And I believe that the black people have a right. Let me show you. I think so much black people I, the right. I think the history of itself
12: is worthy of examination in and of itself, by itself.
3: Uh, and I don't think that... I don't think that that means that there's not a case for reparations for for Native Americans, but I have the right right, right to study black people. I have a right to, to, to think about that in and of itself. You know, just like um, you know, one could make the same critique of an argument. You know, for example, uh, reparations uh, that given to Israel after the Holocaust. Well, Jews weren't the only people that were killed. In the Holocaust, uh, you know, um, but folks have a right to talk about
12: it. And then there should be, you know, another article,
3: you know, about the Roma killed in the Holocaust. And there should be another article about, you know, uh, homosexuals who were killed in the Holocaust. Just like there should be another article about reparations for Native Americans. Um, this should, you know, I think one of the things that we mistake
12: is uh, because sometimes there's not a lot of bandwidth for a certain story, Uh, we try to put everything on one story. You know what I mean? This is one
3: story, man. You know, this is just one story. And I I really, I did my best to research the hell out of it. Um, Most of it is not actually rooted, you know, in that period of time, you know, it's talking about housing. You know, and I, I think, like, you know, we have the right to reside in that space to talk about our experience as an independent, separate field worthy of study. And somebody else should write, frankly, somebody else. Somebody else better than somebody else who's you know thought about this question all of their all of their life should write the case for Native American Republican. I can't wait to read it. You know? And I'm not I'm not being flipped, you know, I'm not being cynical. You know, I I I, I literally mean that. I literally mean that, you know, because the, the flip side of that is if you know I say that, if I say, you know, uh uh African American And reparations as a concept specifically relating to black people is worthy of that, you know, sort of, you know, uh, in-depth study. You know, Native American history is is worth the same thing. And it should be given the same thing. You know, it shouldn't be an adjunct to my thing. You know, it shouldn't be, like, attached on just to make sure, you know, that I'm, you know, intersectional enough. You know, that that ain't really the way to do it. You know, I think like, you know, there's some value in focusing, you know, and going as deep as you possibly can,
0: you know, in a specific area. And my hope, my hope is that folks who thought, you know, about Native American history look at that piece and will
3: derive something from it. Just like, you know, when I, you know, went to do my research, you know, reparations, you know, given to Israel, I was able to see certain things about reparations in terms of black. Just when I did, you know, the research I was, you know, behind it in terms of reparations given the Japanese. I was able to see certain things and borrow it from that.
12: You know, so so my hope is that, you know,
3: this will not be the end of the argument. It shouldn't be. This should not be the end. You know, folks should look at that. And then they should go and do that 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 same amount of research.
12: Um that's it.
6: Please join me in a warm round of applause for Tanahase Coates, for James Bennett. Thank you so much for that conversation. I know it's coming to a close, but I hope tonight's further the conversation, not just concluded it.
1: Join me in thanking as well our
6: partners tonight, uh, the Center for the Study of Race Politics and Culture, the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs, International House and the Global Voices Series and the National Public Housing Museum. Thank you all so much for being here. We hope to see you back here very soon for another IOP event. Thanks again. you.
12: I you a different food. I you and I, know I don't, 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 don't remember right His he's appreciate people that have tried Look at Look. Oh, no, what's doing, Doug? <laughs> Showing your over there. Thank you. Thank you. You hear Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's don't Oh, don't shoot it. Can I oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> I did nothing. I did nothing. <laughs> I take my shots. I take my lips. Well, I ain't do nothing. I've been working like brand brand on it. yesterday I tried to You to Yesterday? was all me. I went to my birthday. Yesterday was all me. I got to get something while they're on NATO. That's different. And the water's getting you I know you
11: have. <laughs> <head. laughs> two hours. Oh, this this
12: two in the beginning. No, I mean, you know, just now. you can't
3: oh, you
12: got to <laughs> outside, outside. Outside. Yeah. Outside. But was yeah. man? ready yeah. I told yeah. yeah. not yeah. 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 ready I yeah, I I was the, I was the on yeah, yeah. not I was I can tell that, you that one, the one we got, uh, that's from, uh, from Yeah. You turn it there like this. And we have a whole uh, no, think, you know, in the US, you have, to, you have to. I don't know, but we're going to hear that we're going that we're <laughs> you go? Yeah. Uh oh, uh oh. i got to roll on out. Hey, I didn't ask you. Call call? There, I love love you don't I don't know. out I had a wife and all it. I had a wife. I'm going, for I'm gonna Wait. Another balloon. Dang. Put oh, there. Put you right there. that's right So, I got yeah, to game. Game. Oh, do yeah, You So why, so, why you not not here Oh, oh, oh. So you check it up for it. You got the bowl go, and you got the go. bull. you in the bag? On the first time this was uh red. We have to know that. take a little minute. take a little minute. I can I can. Well, I what? Three! Three times! Three, three times! Five. Fact, yeah, two, five. Two, five. Two, two times! Two times! Two times! Two you Two <laughs> Put people busy I mean, on who's <laughs> You she don't know, she <laughs> know. No, <she> no. <laughs> she, she yeah. She out. She she She's not saying she <laughs> no. you know <laughs> trail. Yeah. She's No, then
11: she she back. She tried. Then he got a contract. Did he get
12: a contract? No, I. I know she was trying to put it on the board at the house in the article someone. <laughs>
2: Found yeah, out,
12: so they I kind was of block that. Yes, she had already husband had problems. They already. she got no. who's the Oh, uh, she's from like Electronics. Yeah, yeah she's from But she was a baby and she stayed in New She never <laughs> got so went back to <laughs> California. <laughs> she <laughs> she, just, she, she yeah. Arrogant and stupid. And like, you know, I'm there, and whatever happens, do so, Because even if you want to do that, it doesn't fit the other thing, it's wow. go to the apartment. That <laughs> or, uh, that's all about you. That's all five five million dollars. What are trying to up in the city? I, I, can I can remember that. That's more of that. Coming from the south, Yeah. 100. 100. I think he was there. He caught uh, a heart attack. Yeah, he had asthma attack. He, no, all of he of had asthma He had, had asthma attack. Yeah, Yeah. because yeah. Judge died. was dying. He caught an asthma attack and died outside of died in the car. He, like yeah. he had asthma attack. That's yeah, we did. The first black male in the world. First black male? Yeah. yeah. He, wasn't gay, he, uh, he was uh, gay. gay. He uh, was like, uh, like, he like a dude like the 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 <laughs> He was gay. <laughs> so really
10: oh, everybody. Yeah, Come on.
12: Yo, old white man walking off the bag. Oh, man. Hold on, wait a oh, I don't know if you in the office. I don't know. The house that they the I did i I don't know. i not know. I don't know. i with a black case, He was right, <laughs> yeah. he was like a
10: yeah.
12: I'm not normally able city at the time. And I'm i I am having And I remember cats the house and I remember riding down the street that had no street lights. So we drove into the park, we made a circle out, and we went back. Like, I remember the time somebody
6: walked in earlier. That's I was there the uh, house. all my young. And, and it was and like, I was my life. Life.
12: And I was like, I was like, was like, I I was I I was I we wouldn't have even been in there. Next time, house, time I saw the house, yep.
1: I was in college. You go house party. I house party. And you all the folks were going I'm going
12: to And in a house. Yeah, I know. I the where you Huh? You I to get the, the right to that. It. You don't know, yeah, go deserve it. <laughs> it. it. you got a you <laughs> you <laughs> <Okay. tomorrow>. <laughs>
1: That's
12: yes, one right. You want to that for Ringo? You're to Ringo. i don't see. I Hey not see. see. I do you see. I so let me break the last time you did. You yeah. no, I'm a one Okay. Okay. All right, Chris, All right, all right. like She's, up up. I know. she's like, she's over. Everybody, she's like, With you right your face. No, she, looks, she looks oh, you. I'm not leaving. I'm right so not leaving. I'm I'm not I'm not leaving. i not I'm I'm not leaving. not no, I put the rest of mine in there and here. With oh, the yeah, shrimp right. I'm going to put another the little ones because she, you know, she had a You <laughs> have been sick, for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, uh, we'll put on um, the next next time. Um, you no. Know, it <laughs> 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 oh, I'm do my hair.
11: I'm to do my
12: I'm not on Sure i mm-hmm. <laughs> you. got on about. You gotta go see Ah. Somebody about a weeks ago. Oh, we got the Oh, I thought this okay. was um, this for the dog. What was, the what was, it was I thought it was the um, dog um, I don't you know what like you're yeah. It does look like you're saying. So you're going to tell them about the gummy. Can you talking? What, marijuana gummy? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I talked to her. Hey, the morning. Talk to me, I dude? talked to her. He said, yeah. Jaja, which is his younger brother. He said, man, I told Jaja to clean that backpack out. He better than his younger brother. Okay. So, one of his phone calls him and said, Hey, I got some shoes for your son. He had some free shoes for Savior. Mm-hmm. And that's my first shoe. So, that's my first shoe. So, the line
11: is when they got them yesterday and, and gave them a Savior. So, they sent it back with their mama from Los Angeles. Yeah. So, I go upstairs after they
12: see what Savior got. And Savior so came and handed me some gummies with the box of candy. And I look at it and I see candy bread and do some gummy. And I said, This is. Drunk? He said he just put it I said, "What is drug?" He said, "No, Mama, it's not drug." And he took it out my hand. He said, "I'm just with everything like And <laughs> <laughs> I said, "What? Give me the, give me the stuff." So he gave it my back to me. And then I, Where the all out <laughs> <laughs> I said, hey, what "Where are, are they?" I'm "Where are they?" I mean, I mean who, who are they? <laughs> Yeah, I want them. Oh, I don't care about the of oh, a oh, oh, this, oh, the story. Oh it's ridiculous. Look, 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 no. I was I was about, about, uh, it had to be about that House. Badger House. Get it ready. What is Let's go his name about this <laughs> Come on, Warren. <boy>. <laughs> <up. laughs> <laughs> Should I put that down? <laughs> let's go this <laughs> I put that down? Yeah, let me go see that dime <laughs> right, <let's> I <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yeah, what's up? How you doing? I've been here like two hours, I didn't know you were here. my man. are Oh, so yeah, glad he did. <laughs> 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 didn't do that. What? But Ethan. Oh, he could have thought it was him. I know. He know i was Oh, no. We got moving. We got moving two little girls so they feel they must they smoking they were 10 he was right. Can I move?
10: Hey, so <laughs>
12: <laughs> we coming out. We're going way out all down. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Come on. Where y'all going? Green, break. Green, break. Let me wash my hands We got Oh, we got kids. We got kids. We got We è- oh, the- 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 go. We well, oh, you met Willie before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You Willie you know Where right. so, really so, uh, 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 mm-hmm. He retired too. Oh, uh, in Arizona. She lives in Arizona, Royce. Where's Royce lives in San Antonio, but he's in Arizona. What's on Arizona? Okay, okay. voices in the uh, that, must uh, be, that, must be uh, that must be a It You to I didn't think I did. not know. I don't know. I not I Okay. Most weekends, uh, no. uh, that's what who? is. Oh, that's what you saying with Doug. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right. well, i don't it. So like that. Cool
10: <laughs> <subject. Yeah.
12: laughs>
10: so, yeah. I'm so What? She's
12: that got work, she got up, <laughs> boy, like this. Right. Yeah. Like I'm you like, that. i so he went out with his girlfriend. He splits time with his girlfriend and his mom. Yeah, so when he time with his mom, he had a cut half. You made me one. Just dad. I just stretch he had. You made me one. That's alright. That's enough Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. like everybody. he just put Cause uh. He uh, he talk about the specifics What, what, what? It tastes like, it's like drink. Drink. it tastes like It is brown liquor. Right? Yo, right? right? You want a drink? No, I want a drink. You want apple oh, crab, or regular crust? The man in the house, babe. Oh, who oh, that It looks be, like um, uh,
1: they
12: got Bruce Lee Yeah. Oh, let me go outside. Come on, let me go outside. Yeah, come on with me. I need a uh, support. I got issues. Not really. I don't know. So get the ass <laughs> out here. What does he do? I see. He got not me. You think? What do you do? Go look at me and smile. She know, she She's all out hey. there and look at your and mom. She just did it. Hey. <laughs> she just did it. She knew it. She <laughs> can't help it. Her hey, first thing hey, is not hey, it But it's a it's a look at you a smile for what they get me. She can't help it. She can't help it. But at the same time I came out that she was doing that for everybody. She did like two or three people. I said that's what she doing.
10: Oh, no, no I'm, I'm going to wash my hands. Please,
12: right, please. Thank you, buddy. It was, it was I'm late. Better late than that. hook you up. What? i made it so Oh. do oh. oh. What? Dawn is the best stuff. Yeah. I mean I you. Know, you then you do then you use dawn if you when you do uh when you plant them, mm-hmm. you spray it on the plant, she keep bugs up. It's the best stuff. No yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm it. a because I'm right now, And
1: We throw it. We
12: Up, and we uh, oh, yeah. we, uh, oh we yeah. out there,
1: we went out there, 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 we
12: went out well, this is it. Well, you move, move. I got a I got a you my For real, man. You go One. One. you I Come on. Come on. You got Oh, I got I a, Do you have any sister, oh, I got a, a younger brother. A, a Look simple, me one of them gummies. You made a bad transcript of Oh, doing okay. He yeah. a special yeah. love. Yeah. But the love is there. Yeah. Kind
10: of. uh, <laughs> <Yeah. make
12: a laughs> don't you never lose your life That's what's
4: gonna make him hit. That's what's gonna make him I'll be walking. I got
12: a baby. Why? You got a substitute. I I I got I mean, I'm I'm i got him I'm I'm in I'm i i yeah, she? So had What is
1: she? What is she? she?
12: So oh, Hey, oh, yeah, right. Right. I got it. I'm it. Okay. Oh, sure. I got it. 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 I I really it. I got it. I need I it. I nice. I my uh, just for Jay's birthday, I thought be be nice. Jay was dancing and everybody was dancing real low. I so I thought dancing like through a butterfly real low. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like behind Jay. Yeah, yeah. Like the butterfly behind Jay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I hurt my knee and my shit <laughs> going up. What? Oh my God. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hold on, sorry. I don't want to sit by Sarah. I gotta watch you. I gotta watch you. I gotta look at you in your face. I gotta look. Sarah, you know, y'all know what she's doing. Watch. I got her number. What should we do Sarah? What should we do Sarah? I got her number. Sarah, you
10: know what I'm She's not getting <laughs> 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 <laughs>
12: You like this? It's not the same liquor. I know He went and put some cron in here. You put the tequila up. See, we don't. We just quarry to hang. But look. Yeah. We got a party. It's March birthday at midnight. She got a party tomorrow. That's why I said at midnight. You just want a scowl in here. It's not like the same liquor. I don't want that. It's a scowl. What is it? It's whiskey. What are you saying? Yeah, this is for you. This is whiskey. What is it? That's the whiskey. Make it more. Dump that in your cup. What's up? You got in It's
2: King Christopher.
12: But my I was telling him I was I was literally showing him the pictures of all y'all on the way to New Orleans. Oh really? I was showing the pictures y'all. And then when we was coming up the highway, I said I got a feeling my dad gonna be. I say I felt it. I'm bad. I just went down there Sunday. Uh, Oh, to get your birth certificate?
10: Yep. Okay. And a friend of mine was having a party. I said, Well, go by the party Sunday. It was my birth apparently my birth certificate
12: yesterday, but then the okay. organizer said they didn't do it. Then I had to go to one of the parishes, and Edgar said they only did it on Tuesday. And then I had to go to Baton Rouge with get my fingerprints um, and background said So okay. I was like, I was gonna get all that out the way. Okay. And Jane called me yesterday and said about this. And I almost oh, forgot to be a call to around But I did
10: send you an invitation for my birthday
12: party. It was there. That's right. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She, did it. she 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 looked in your eyes. She looked she looked at your eyes and like he was there. And started smiling. She did it. Well, Morgan is allergic to, to trouble, shrimp, yeah. they said her food was shrimp. With shrimp. I was there. Was, so we told them to do it. Well, they brought it back and she had an allergic reaction. It's the They put the shrimp off and gave her the fish. That uh-huh. the shrimp was
2: on her. Uh-huh. So she oh, had an allergic reaction. People to do that with pork. Yeah, and they'll put
12: some in worth me my money. They're going to take their gift card and say it. For how much more than what you paid? You no, know, I paid $130. I've been to your girl. The gift card was $100? The gift card was $100. So uh, my cousin's caller? Oh, no, no, no. I've been about a lot. I thought I saw a couple of times. I could pay couple of say, times. So, what you do for your birthday? It it's a nail beam. What do y'all want to do? Same thing. I don't know. It, I don't know. Know. It, it is. You gotta go to the right it one. It was too expensive
2: and they went down on the quality of their food. Don't be a negative, Manson. No.
12: We do go to care We do go to not they, about it and yeah, they, they Ain't nothing in not. so the not not yeah. airport. the the better They <laughs> nothing better. Oh, oh, not than so better Nothing. Not in the airport. Nothing. I'll I, I share with right. last Friday. One of the best people here in be.
1: future.
12: Right now, on the 45th. It's all Captain Bob. Captain Bob. Captain Bob. I Captain Bob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is my dummy. I mean, I mean, <laughs> he got, he got the I the that's what I did too, stop and, they they had had the I was I was uh, I was like, I like, I was like, I was like, I was like, I like, I the I
1: was
12: like, the was I was like, I was like, I the I was like, I was like, I was He said I was was on did you notice the clothes off. I was so good. It used to be a did go hard. <laughs> the go Oh man, oh, you know I what? Is? Is. We're already going. We're you so late. Late. you yeah. know what? My I'm going to do. What? And I you. What? Because And I yeah, really. He was, he was like, hey, birthday, I was going to do like, <laughs> oh, i know I'm out. I'm I'm i I'm like, oh, oh. I'm <laughs> 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 <And laughs> <laughs> <laughs> i don't think oh, you- no, her oh, <laughs>